The Tumbling Saber Podcast is a proud member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. Subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts. Visit our base at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Tumbling Saber Podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm Murray. And I'm Rick. Welcome back, everybody. How are we doing? We're back for another week. A huge week of Star Wars news. Who would have believed it? Um, man, let's let, I don't even want to beat around the bush. Let's just jump right in. Uh, Marie, how you doing? How was your week in Star Wars? I'm good. Um, my week in Star Wars. I'm reading the junior novelization of, of Rise of Skywalker now, and it's actually really good. So That's that not what Twitter been... told me. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, it's really good. Um, I've been enjoying that. I'm already almost 70% of the way through it, and I got it like two days ago. So it's a very quick read. Um, and then uh, for... I forgot to mention this last time, but for Easter, my mom got me the Kylo Ren TIE Fighter Micro Fighter Lego. Cool. So I'm really excited about that because um, I've been wanting it. I just didn't want to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's really about it. Um, just keeping busy with the books that I can... Um, get my hands on i i did my monthly pre-order of well it's a little late in the month it, they weren't all pre-orders um of star wars books on amazon and there still were several so i'm excited yeah my wish list is is full of star wars books including the rise of skywalker novelization which i keep not ordering it week after week <laughs> <laughs> yeah speaking about that junior novel um uh, poor michael coggy got the uh Got a little bit of the J.J. Abrams, Chris Terrio treatment this past week, and Ray Carson treatment, uh, which tells you all you need to know. But it really is a good book, though. It occasionally skips over some things, and in places when it skips over, it then kind of retells it in hindsight. So that's a little odd, but. It doesn't, like, if two things are happening simultaneously, it only tells about one of the things that's happening. Marie, is it the same author from um, The Force Awakens and Last Jedi uh, junior novelization? I don't know. I've read both of those, but I can't remember. It's not a trivia question, so Marie's got to save yeah, the space in her, in her brain for the actual trivia stuff. <laughs> the in-universe <laughs> trivia. Oh, today, um, one of the Dragon Con trivia contestants, the one who is just turned, today was his birthday, he just turned 13, and he um, was the one that beat me because I didn't put a hyphen in Sifo-Dyas's name. Um, so it 
his parents put on a Facebook live event where he was answering Star Wars trivia questions for two hours. And I got to contribute some questions. So that was really cool. Nice. Imagine being 13 and just being able to fly, fly with the Eagles at that level of Star Wars uh, trivia fandom. Like 13. That's crazy. Yep. (laughs) Then again, when you're 13, Really, what's it? What else? What else do you have space in your brain for other than the minutia, this, that kind of stuff? Like I, I remember memorizing baseball card stats and hockey card stats and all that kind of nerdy stuff, and now it's gone. Like I can't even consider it anymore without, you know, without devoting time to it. Um, we don't even know what day it is anymore. <laughs> this is true. I mean, we actually had a little miniature argument. <laughs> We're like, no, it's no, it's Thursday. Are you no, it's it's Wednesday. And we had to kick that around for a few seconds. Oh wait, all right, it's it's Thursday. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I. But I think everybody's having a little bit of that these days. But Rick, how you doing? Things are good. You know, still uh, venturing out into the world to go work um, in eerily empty downtown Chicago, which is strangely kind of cool looking. Um, but uh, as far as my Star Wars this week. I have managed to sneak in a couple of hours here and there of um, Fallen Order. So I'm doing uh, doing the playthrough on, um, I think it's Jedi Knight level, which is kind of like, it's not your easiest setting, but it's like, it's like the second setting. It's like story mode, Jedi Knight, Jedi Master, and then Grandmaster, I think, um, is the most difficult setting. So um, getting through that, we just finished the planet Zepho. Um, what a silly name for a planet yeah it's, it's really cool the story is very cool it's very dense there's a lot of stuff packed into it um, and it's really cool how Cal is learning his force abilities in the game um, as a former Padawan so the, the way it's incorporated into the story is really cool it's not just you know another level up you know kill 50 stormtroopers and you get to double jump or whatever it is, you know, that there's a, it, it becomes part of the story to um, acquire what we would just call, you know, basic force skills. Um, they, they, they built it into the story. So I've been doing that. Isaac's been watching me uh, do the play along and obviously he's a little know-it-all. So he's got to give me tips on how to do everything, um, which, you know, as a parent is so much fun. Um, <laughs> and we, uh, we yesterday, uh, made a trip out to Target. Um, it's the first time I'd been in a Target in maybe two months. And I wanted to go and maybe see if we can find some puzzles or some other board games to play. And a lot of that stuff was, th- those shelves were bare. Like there were zero puzzles on the shelves. And um, I did see uh, Black Series Second Sister and, and Cal Kestis this time around again. And I passed on them. I'm like, eh, I don't really need them. But we did buy... Um, on clearance, it was about ten dollars. Uh, the Lego Brickhead two pack of Kylo Ren and the Sith Trooper. Nice. Um, which, yeah, Isaac uh, quickly put those together in about four and a half minutes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so he's been uh, he's been kind of putzing around with those things. So, shout out to Carlos because uh, both you and I, Marie, got uh, some Lego stuff this week. So, Woo. Uh, Carlos continues to flex the, the Lego muscle. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a little sneak peek <laughs> until until we get Carlos back next week. But holy moly, 
Sparks are flying. Fireworks are happening with Carlos and, and the Lego. Man. <laughs> um, you know, what we did this week was binge The Mandalorian. You know, I, nice. Yeah, it was cool. Like, I hadn't watched it really since its initial run. And I don't typically do this. And I, I'm curious about anybody else. Like, whether especially, I guess, really with the, the Marvel Netflix shows, Daredevil, etc. I would typically only watch the shows once and never look back. I don't know what it is about shows, but I tend not to revisit them, except for the purpose of like podcasting. Like I'll watch an episode of the Mando twice in, in the in you know the day or two before we record. Same for Clone Wars. I'll watch it twice on the Friday. But I don't typically revisit these things. But um, yeah, my son wanted to watch the Mando this week, so so that's that's what we did. You know, over over it doesn't take long actually. You know, when you think about it, some of the episodes were like. 22 25 minutes you zip through it in an afternoon and so we we did that we got most of it done but like the, i think every parent has this moment where like you realize that your little one isn't just running around the house with with like a finger up his nose but they're actually absorbing everything around them mm-hmm. and, and it you know so wednesday so we tuesday we'd watched a bunch of episodes and then wednesday morning he just got up on his own. He went downstairs to the basement and he, he fires up the AV system and picked up watching the Mando where he left off. And he did, but he doesn't know how to do this. Or at least I thought <laughs> my AV system is, is a thing. It's a whole thing. It's got the, the AV receiver, uh, the PlayStation four to run Disney plus the TV. So he's got to use three different remotes and have the different inputs all set up properly. And I had no idea that he knew how to do this, but he did. I I got up on Wednesday morning and he was already down there watching where he left off. And I'm like, he's probably got like a little Dexter's laboratory set up that you don't even know about. Oh, probably. <laughs> yeah. He's probably got like a little murder, ra- murder lab somewhere. <laughs> yeah, That was, that was one of those moments. I'm like, huh? So we're here. We're here. Are we? And it's the same, same with video games. Like he's been playing a ton of battlefront and it's, it's, it's funny and endearing to watch him just fly around and or running around as as a as some kind of trooper and just having a blast with this crazy violent game because what we've done just to make the game just sh- pure shits and giggles is just crank up all the heroes' powers, make the AI a bunch of dummies, and have the recharge on the special abilities super fast. So it's just complete chaos. It's just bedlam, explosions, force powers galore. Yeah, every level sounds just, like mayhem. Oh, it's mayhem! It's so much fun just to slaughter stormtroopers or whatnot. Um, did I mention he's six? Uh oh. <laughs> but yeah, so my but my wife, um, you know, technically this is not really a collecting thing, but my wife was at the pharmacy over the weekend, and she grabbed um Lego Force Awakens video game for us, and that was she got it for a song for like I think she said it was like ten bucks. So now we have an an alternative, uh, an alternate Star Wars video game to play other than Battlefront Two, but. Uh, Predictably, my kids monopolized it, and I haven't even gotten to touch it so far. Except for when my son got to a, like a like a puzzle part, and he he's not quite able to read some of the stuff just yet. But now, like that that was that that was short lived as well. Like he figured out, a, I helped him figure out a couple puzzles, and now he's doing it on, all on his own. So what good am I? <laughs> nothing, nothing. But otherwise, um, you know, the collecting thing for me is is sort of on ice for now which is okay 
because I, you know, I still have, I have this dream that during this isolation that I'm going to be able to open up my boxes, rearrange the collection, display it a little nicer, but that's not happened. And who's kidding who? It probably won't. Anyway, uh, let us jump into a really painfully packed news section this week, everybody. It's huge, huge. Um, let's st- I guess we'll start with um, potentially the biggest news of the week with yet another uh, Star Wars series being in the works for Disney Plus, if we want to believe the report from Variety. And this series is from Leslie Headland, who is the co-creator, showrunner, and executive producer of the Netflix series Russian Doll. Now, is anybody familiar with either Leslie Headland or Russian Doll? I'm not, but I watched the video um, on the article, and she seems all in for Star Wars, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, like she was speaking to is that, that guy was is he? Um, we've seen him before. Is, was that the MTV guy, or I guess maybe he's a Variety guy? I don't know, but I've seen that guy's face before who she spoke to and it was, it was from the rise of Skywalker premiere. And I think the interviewer asked her like, Oh, would you ever want to write star Wars? And she was like, Oh my God, call me. I've got like, whatever she said, like it was, it was effusive praise and she wanted to do star Wars so badly. And now looking back at that, it's like, wait a sec. You knew like she, uh, yeah, you, you had to have been in negotiations <laughs> at that point. That's very sneaky of her. And she sold it too. Like that was some good acting. What about you, Rick? Do you know this person? I I only know the show kind of on the periphery. Uh, the wife, she watched it. We were talking about it earlier today. And I, so I was just kind of trying to get a feel for what the show is. So, you know, like, I don't want to know any story beats because I'm sure I'll watch it eventually. But um, she says it kind of starts off as like a mystery story. And then it gets into more of a sci-fi suspense mystery twilight zone kind of thing um and you know this is what we do we find out what what somebody's back work history is and we try to place it within the confines of the star wars universe and you know how do we get this uh mystery setting to translate into a star wars story and then considering what we know what little we know of this rumored show that it's going to take place in a period of time that as of yet no other story is happening in and that it's going to be centered around a female or it'll be a female centric, uh, lead. So, um, which that's what Russian doll is, um, has a a female lead. Um, but from what I know, like she says, uh, Russian doll is like, um, it's a little mystery story kind of told in the guise of like edge of tomorrow. Um, again, I don't want to get too much in the story beats from what she told me, but it's kind of like the main character is living the same day over and over again, which she's trying to figure out the pieces of why things happen at the end of the first day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm being purposely vague about it because, you know, I, again, I, if anybody that hasn't seen the show, I don't want to go into much and say anything that I don't really know about. Um, but again, framing, if she's going to keep on with the same vein, which is probably unlikely, but you know, how, how would you frame a, a mystery setting within star Wars storytelling, you know? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You, I, I guess you're right. Like just because she does, you know, a mystery sci-fi thing doesn't mean she'll do mystery in the star Wars universe, but maybe it does mean that. I don't know. 
who knows? But uh, yeah, like an- another one of those announcements that came like right out of the blue. And uh, well, <laughs> once again, uh, the usual reactions from all those different corners of fandom and mm. most regular, I think most regular well-adjusted fans, like the people who like us and who listen to this pod go, yeah, cool, man, more Star Wars. And uh, while others got their knickers in a twist, as soon as you, we read that headline where it's, you know, it's a female showrunner and writer and it's a female centric show and people, people are losing their minds going like, oh, you, if that's like the, if that's where you're coming from with the series I and mean, you've got an agenda, man, and that, that means the story is secondary, man. No, no, you knuckleheads. That's not, A, that's just wrong anyway, but obviously the story is still first but they're not going to tell you what the story is in this scoop for obvious yeah. reasons. So <laughs> what we know is that Leslie, Leslie Headland is a, is a woman and there's a woman in her show. That's what we know. And that's all we're going to know until Lucasfilm, you know, if, and until Lucasfilm gives us anything official. So right. all these people are just like bawling their eyes out and having tantrums. Oh, hey, I guess it would well, be... Well, here's, here's the thing about this show is that, you know, here she's been named, and again, it's still rumored, it hasn't been confirmed by StarWars.com, but if this is th- at this point where they're just naming her, you know, an EP and a showrunner, we're not going to see this series for another two or three years anyway. Yeah, this is a ways off. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, I mean, you know, with everything going on, just with the world as it is, if this thing started kicking off with development right now, we're still looking at probably another two years. But, you know, the way things are, we're talking maybe three years before this thing, you know, ends up on screen. So all of these jamokes that got their chonies in a bundle need to <laughs> just chill the hell out. It's stupid. There's all, you know, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction in any fandom is mind-boggling. I mean, it's nothing new, but I mean, to see some of the things that people say, like, you know, why does it have to be a woman? You know, it's like, why did your pee-pee go up inside you when you heard that, dude? Relax. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it's a TV show. Calm down. Yeah. Parts of me just want to, like, scrub all that info out and just let people watch the show. And then after they watch it all, then you say who made what and watch them sort of turn themselves inside out over the things they enjoyed. Turns out it's all fine. Yeah. Bunch of dummies. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I guess if you're, you're going to come to Star Wars, you're going to get your licks. Ask Michael Coggy. Um, now, now Leslie Headland is maybe going to get lined up for that. Um, again, Abrams took it again this week because apparently he messed up the whole thing with Ray's scar on her arm. And that that's a mess. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yep. We'll get into this later, but Filoni was Filoni was getting it too, because you know some people were you know I said there was one there was one dickbag on Twitter who was like he turned Maul into this weak character and Ahsoka's a Mary Sue and it's like my God man get your head out of your ass please for the rest of us. You knew that was coming though. Like, of course, that that had to be you. You had to know that was coming from that section of fandom. That, and but you also had to know that what was going to happen in that episode was going to happen one way or another. Exactly. So to act exactly. surprised, a, yeah, it's not like Maul was going to win. We know that he 
falls back into the shadows and starts Crimson Dawn. And Ahsoka carries on and ends up in Rebels. This isn't new information. It wasn't like they were just going to shake hands where Maul's going to be like, ah, you got me that time. And like, we're equals. And then they separate. No, they're going to fight. And she bet she got the better of him, you know, but we'll, we'll get into that later when we start, when we talk about the episode. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> continue on with that, uh, with uh, this new show. So I, early predictions, l- lazy people like me were like, could this be the Ahsoka show? Considering, you know, uh, we, just, we just had Rosario Dawson rumors breaking in the last few weeks. Uh, so that was a very lazy reach by myself and other people. Um, and then smarter people went a little deeper and said, maybe it's the Afro show. That's been rumored. Do you guys, Marie, do you think it's either of those things or something else completely? Well, if it said that in the article, it said that it was taking place in a brand new time period. So Afra's during the Empire... Ahsoka would be during the Empire. So I was thinking maybe a show in the future because they haven't done something in a way in the future yet. Yeah, that's to me, that's one of those comments where I can take it or leave it because it could mean like if you go in a couple of years ahead or behind anything you're technically in a spot on the timeline that hasn't been touched. You know what I mean? Like they, they could, play, yeah. and they often do play semantics like that. So I, I, I don't know. I take that with a grain of salt, but I hope you're right. Like I, I hope it's, I would love to see it in the future. How about you, Rick? What, what did you think? Um, when, Just seeing the headline without having read the article, my first thought was Afra, but you know, and the article says that it'll take place in a time where there's no story currently happening right now. Mm. So, I mean, it could be Afra if it's during the empire, because right now we're not getting any other stories in the time frame. Those movies are already done and dusted. You know, we've already seen them, but something that just popped into my head was, I don't know if you remember when Benioff and Weiss were still uh, <laughs> playing ball with Lucasfilm, there was that rumor of the one woman that supposedly wrote a screenplay for one of their movies or a treatment for one of their movies that would have been, you know, again, this is all hearsay and rumor and conjecture that, you know, we all were working under the assumption that they were doing something, you know, beginning of the Jedi um, kind of thing. You know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that whatever that, if that story treatment is something that happened, you know, that maybe they could be running something like that. That's not exactly Knights of the Old Republic, but, you know, something well farther back than High Republic. Um, I, sky's the limit with this. You know, I mean, it, it could be anything. And I don't, and again, like I said, it's so early in all of this that we're going to forget we even had this conversation when this show drops, you know? So mm. I don't know. I, I you know, I mean, I'm going to, I'm down for whatever. Um, but if I had to take a guess, I would say it's something probably more distant past than not too distant future. You're probably right. You're you're probably right. It feels like they're more they're more apt as a company to explore the past rather than push ahead into the future. I don't know why that is, mm-hmm. or even if that's correct. That's just my feeling on it. If they're gonna ju- if they're gonna jump in the future, it has to be well beyond stories that ran with characters that we know. To write a parallel right. story 
with Ray and Poe and Finn and everybody still running around somewhere and have them not be involved, I don't, people probably wouldn't go for it. I, I don't think, um, at least without some kind of a mention. So that's why, unless, like I said, unless they're going to go way off into the future, um, to me, it makes more sense for them to go backwards. Probably. Yeah. And, and, you know, with regards to Ahsoka, three seconds of thought would have benefited me if I had said, Oh God. Yeah. Filoni, if it's Filoni's doing Ahsoka, if there's going to be a live action, action, live action Ahsoka, Filoni's doing it. Like he's going to be heavily involved. He's not letting her go. That's a good point. So I I guess, you know, on the low hanging fruit side, it's Afra or it's something. What if, what if it's Avar Chris? That's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, you have to think with everything that they released for High Republic, the fact that they've got all of this concept art and they've got these character bios and all of this stuff, you have to think at some point it's going to end up on the screen. I can't see them doing all of that, you know, basically R&D for for characters that are going to be, yeah, in print. You know, I mean, maybe, you know, comic books, sure, you can do stuff like that. It would make sense. But why would you end up drawing out characters that much? to that level for something that's going to be in black and white on a page. There's got to be something else there with that stuff. Yeah. Like they had the whole, they had like all hands on deck from the concept department cranking out stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I I guess I can see why you would need those people to help visually guide you into that era of, of, of the universe. But it seems like you're devoting an awful lot of your top resources to fleshing this stuff out and not to use it at some point on the screen. So maybe Avar Chris is something to look at. But, you know, also going into that kind of mystery storytelling um, that we're pigeonholing uh, Leslie Hadland into, you know, when, when we talk about the, the another character from High Republic, um, uh, what is her name? Uh, uh, Trennis, Master Trennis, as she's got the mention in the um, Duke of Jedi Lost as somebody who fell. She was uh, kicked out of the order. Um, Keeve Trennis, that's her name. Um, she's uh, one of the Jedi that, that if, if it's the same character from the Duke of Jedi Lost book, there could be some mystery there. I mean, again, if we're looking total tunnel, tunnel vision into a singular writing style or genre, um, that's a story that could work. Um, figuring out whatever intrigue is going on there that that leads her astray to the point where she's going to get kicked out because I think it said the character is headstrong but didn't really believe in herself and you I mean it's already setting up the seeds for conflict just within the confines of whatever high republic story we're going to get for her anyway but I can see that coming to the screen too but again it's probably something that we know nothing about and it's going to be thousands of years ago and we're going to look like idiots when we look back <laughs> at this episode that we're talking about right now yeah Probably, you know, I, I think in, at the end of the day, when, when we get the synopsis and learn more about it, it will probably be a, a similar approach to, to the Mandalorian where the character is entirely new, but almost everything else about the show is familiar so that we feel tethered to the universe because of, uh, you know, whether it's the iconography or if it's the setting, maybe it might be a planet that we are, that we know, but at some other point in history, like something about the show will be familiar other than it being under the star Wars umbrella. I don't know that they have the guts. To, you know, what to... you say, 
you said the word tethered. I mean, what if it goes back to that, you know, the fanny pack lightsabers that we saw in the Old Republic, the Tales of the Jedi comics from like 5,000 years ago? They had the battery packs on their lightsabers. Yeah, and well, yeah. even, even um, like the caveman lightsabers from the Last Jedi, the Art of Last Jedi book. Mm-hmm. It was basically a, a kyber crystal taped or, you know, tied by a, a rope to a stick. <laughs> that was that was some of those first lightsabers. What if we go there? That that would be really bizarre. Yeah. I would love to see the beginnings of the Jedi Order for sure. I just wonder if that's something that they wouldn't save for big screen. If movie theaters are still a thing in three years, who knows? <laughs> that's almost something I've wondered because the idea of that is fascinating. I don't know anybody who would say, nah, I don't ever want to see the beginning of the Jedi. Why would I want that? But I w- can you imagine the reaction of fanboys everywhere if the first Jedi was a woman? Oh, <laughs> can you imagine? Rick, why would you even think that? That's so, that's so far from even being possible. Ugh. Rick. God. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I can't imagine because you know what? We're well practiced at watching these chowderheads. <laughs> hammer away at their keyboards oh god like kn- the knuckleheads they are oh my god yep anyway um i'm i'm excited you give me more star wars i i am pretty much always going to be excited for it especially when you're bringing in an, a, a new face like leslie headland who when this news broke like people were just people with brains in their head were saying like this is a, a solid content creator like she's good and that works for me. Um, so let's... I wonder if we'll get news about this at Celebration, if it happens or if they do a virtual one. I wonder how long it will be before we see anything official. And here we are talking about this as if it's official. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we never hear about this. And the other joke that was going around, of course, is, well, can't wait to see them them part ways. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really... that That's not a bunch of fanboy tears, because that is something that Lucasfilm has been notorious for in the yeah. last five years, right? Yeah. The, the list is just growing wild. But let's hope that doesn't happen here. Um, all right. Well, I guess let's, uh, let's segue into some news where, hey, guess what? Somebody is out of a position at Lucasfilm. <laughs> <laughs> some Cassian Andor news. Uh, Steven Schiff is out, everybody. <laughs> Steven Schiff, we hardly knew you. Oh man, like like clockwork. Somebody's out. And I maybe this is a, another case of yeah, this happens all the time across showbiz and it's just only because it's Star Wars and there's so many prying eyes that <clears throat> we learn about them all and now we're just like WTF guys. But uh, yeah, Steven Schiff is out. And Tony Gilroy is taking over as the showrunner. And there's a, there's more to this isn't, report. I'm but, sorry, isn't Stephen Schiff staying on as a writer? Yes. But he's yeah, not. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I should be. Sorry, I should have been more clear. He's out as the showrunner. He's hanging around as a writer. And I, was he directing an episode as well? Did I read that as well? I thought it was the only, I think, confirmation we have for a director was that Tony Gilroy was writing, writing and directing the pilot. I could be mistaken on that, though. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he's taken over as showrunner. He's writing the pilot. He will be directing. And I think um, they plan to have sort of the team approach like they have with the Mando as far as directors go. They want to have a different mm-hmm. group, uh, like a, a varied group as they have on that show, which makes sense. Um, Yeah, so another lead on a Star Wars project is out. But I guess, you know, the outcry was was barely above a blip. And I don't know if that's because nobody knows Stephen Schiff. Or if, again, we're so practiced at this kind of thing that we we're immune. We don't care. Like, fine, hey, of course he's out. Uh, Marie, did you pour one out for Stephen Schiff? Um. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know all that much about him, but at least you know it's not like he completely is out of the picture because he's still writing. So. That's good. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Rick? Um, you know, I only know his name, you know, from being attached to the Americans. Um, and it makes sense when he first came on as a, as a showrunner to be telling a story, a, a, a spy story, because that's what the Americans is um, for, again, watering that down to a single nugget of information. Um if if it keeps that same vibe and having him on as a writer is a good thing or is a good indication that it probably still will. Um, I, I don't have any problems with this. And I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that Tony Gilroy is the one taken over because he doesn't care. Like this is one of those instances where he's kind of like, well, whatever it's, it's a job and it's not like he's so steeped into the lore of everything and he's got to get it all right. His thing is like, Hey, listen, I'm here to tell a good story. I'm here to fix you know, whatever. And I'm going to give you what I think is the right uh, framework for, for the story. I mean, we all know how Rogue One came out and who knows what the original, you know, cut of that movie was going to look like before he came on. But I, Rogue One was, came out of the gates and made over a billion dollars. And I think took some people by surprise and um, I'm good with this move. This one doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I saw I've seen a few episodes of the Americans a few a few years ago and I really liked it I I, just, I love the spy thriller I love the espionage espionage genre so I feel like we're losing a talented person in Stephen Schiff in that capacity um, but then again I mean it's being he's being replaced by uh, Tony Gilroy who to me deserves probably more credit for the way that Rogue One turned out than Gareth Edwards like he mm-hmm. was brought in to save that thing from what we know uh, so yeah. I mean. If, if you know they backed the money truck up to him and said, "Please help us, help us, man." So, I, I, if if him taking over means the show um, is tonally more consistent with what we got in Rogue One, then I'm perfectly fine with with this move. And I, you know, I like it with when people with experience in with Lucasfilm with Star Wars hang around and create more. So I, right. you know, despite losing Schiff, which makes me a little bummed. Uh, I can't frame this in any other way than saying uh, this is a positive thing. But isn't it funny? Like, doesn't this move sort of emphasize how Gilroy is like, isn't this almost like Lucasfilm is saying, this is the guy, <laughs> this guy made Rogue One the success it is. You know, I, I, I see takes all the time out there where people want Gareth Edwards back on a Disney plus series or another movie. Give, give, give Gareth Edwards a trilogy. But I'm like, wait, I mean, maybe, 
But from all, what we know, Rogue One was off the rails under Gareth Edwards. Yeah, and but in, he he didn't he didn't do all the writing though, did he? Was didn't uh, was it Gary Whitta did a lot of the writing for yeah, Rogue One initially? There was someone else, yeah that that sounds right. So it might not be that whatever they had filmed wasn't good. It might have been that the story that was laid out to begin with was a bit more of a mess, and they brought him in just to tie up loose story ends as opposed to Gareth Edwards' vision wasn't you know, cohesive or something. Gareth Edwards being attached to anything Star Wars doesn't bother me, but if you have a writer, I don't want to name anybody who put out a movie four months ago, but if you have a writer that doesn't feel strong enough there in their convictions to have a story come out and be one cohesive thing that isn't kind of a jumbled mess, if Tony Gilroy is the guy that's going to make sure that this thing, you know, right off the block is is you know, that there's a clear story from beginning to end with this, then then that's fine. You know, if he has to come in as a quote-unquote fixer, like he did for Rogue One, cool. But if this is his child from beginning to end, to me, that's almost even better. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't disagree with that at all. Um, and I, I do like that, you know, Gilroy in the aftermath, I can't remember if he said this before Rogue One or after Rogue One, but he, he was like, I'm not even a Star Wars fan. Like, he's like, I don't care. I don't, I don't know the history of the franchise. I don't, I don't know anything about it. And that puts That's why I'm good with him coming on because yeah, he does. He's not weighed down with all the expectation of like, I have to make sure that this, you know, X, Y, and Z and, you know, otherwise Twitter's going to blow up at me. Like, I don't think he cares one way or another. Like, again, he's just there to tell a good story. And if rogue one is any indication of what he can do um, with a story that was a mess, then yeah, give him plenty of stars. And didn't he, right he did some of the animation too i don't know if it was clone wars or rebels he had a hand in one of those series hmm, i don't know you, may, you might be right you might be right yeah i, I, so I get remember mixed up he... with the chris witta tony gilroy's gary Widdas. i get mixed up with all these names they're all kind of yeah, he, did an, he did an he did an he did an interview with um alex from star wars explained at dragon con two years ago i think i, or, I don't think it was last year and they talked about Again, his not being super steeped in the Star Wars and what his approach to storytelling is. And I remember Alex asking him specific questions about one of the two series. So he's he's got more involvement than just what he did with Rogue One, um, with the, you know within the, the franchise as a whole. So I'm just looking at, at um, <laughs> they got a good guy here in, in Tony Gilroy. Just as a writer, here's here's a few of his of his credits. Going back to '96 with Extreme Measures. And The Devil's Advocate a year later. Uh, the Born Identity, like the whole trilogy. Michael Clayton, mm. State of Play, uh, the fourth Born movie, Rogue One, and he's got a movie uh, in 2018 called Beirut, which I have not seen. But that's a pretty impressive list of writing credits. So I think we're in good hands. Yeah. I'd say so. And, you know, just, you know, Star Wars, some Star Wars fans got their noses at a joint, like, what do you mean he's not a fan? How can he, how dare he not be a fan and work on, <laughs> who cares? Like he just, he should just focus on like the structure of the story, the plot, the characterizations, all that stuff should be his purview. And you have the story group and you have other people around 
that can fill in that fanboy nonsense, the stuff that we geek out over. But if like the, <laughs> the show has to be tight, the scripts have to be tight. And if that's his strength, then um, this show is going to be like on point. Um, and not to, not to, to move on too quickly, but we have actual official news about the, uh, the Cassian Andor series. So last week we talked about uh, Stellan Skarsgård and Kyle Soler maybe being in. There was a report about that, but they are officially in this Cassian Andor show, Cassian Andor show as are Genevieve O'Reilly and Denise Guff. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, they've joined the cast and um, obviously Genevieve O'Reilly being Mon Mothma that we know and love. Uh, Yay! I love it. Marie, <laughs> how do you feel about Mon Mothma being back? I think that's awesome. It's I, Yeah, I'm really excited about it to see. Because that means we're going to get to see Rebel High Command a little bit. And that'll be really interesting. For sure. Rick, Mon Mothma, you down? Oh, hell yeah. And, you know, it, it seemed like one of those things that we were just waiting for the announcement to come anyway, because... It seems like she wouldn't have to play a part in the story. Um, but having the announcement at this point is very exciting. And I'm glad she was uh, willing to come back. The uh, this the other actress, um, Denise, whatever the hell her last name, I don't know her body of work. Um, but again, they have, you know, good casting people at Lucasfilm. So, you know, I have all the faith in the world that they got the right people for whatever these roles are going to be. Um I, Kyle, do you know who Stellan Skarsgård is uh, but at this point? I don't know if you've done your research yet and figured out exactly who that guy is. I do. I do and know what that guy. he's been in. I know that guy. Okay, good. I don't know. Did, did, did Corey tell you? Did Corey fill you in on, uh, Negative. on who he is? Negative. Okay. No, no. Um, see, he, but, he, he's what, been in, in, in many films, such as Thor and Thor 2 The Dark World, uh, Avengers, to name three movies he's been in, I think. Sure. He was, he was also in uh, Chernobyl. Uh, that came out last year and he's, he's a powerhouse actor. You know, he's, he can kind of fall into that, you know, character actor kind of mold, but seeing what he did in Chernobyl, which I don't know if you guys have seen it or not, but um, he's fantastic. And um, I can see him coming in as either an Imperial or as uh, some kind of rebel leader or some kind of a, uh, like a faction leader, Saw Gerrera type, you know, not like some, you know, crazy, you know, rebel cultist kind of a guy. But I'm like, I can see him, you know, being the guy that's kind of leading another spy cell or something like that. Yeah, that's um, I th- yeah, he, he's going to fit in really well. That's the way I see him. Like, usually, usually Imperials have the British accent, except for the case of Krennic. Where he's, I think he's Australian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't, I think from that standpoint, uh, he's probably non-Imperial. I, th- I think you're right. I think he's some sort of other type of, like, a f- file him under other. Maybe he leads some other faction. Maybe he's a <laughs> bounty hunter, uh, another intelligence agent, a mercenary. Who knows? Anyway, back to Mon Mothma. I want to know, how, how, well, how how long is it going to be before we get uh, Draven back oh, in? Uh, oh, back please. In? So that's, that's what I want. I need to see more. I got to see. There's got to be pilots. There's got to be that, that side of it. They got to be there. I you need... Know? We gotta get General Draven back. We gotta get the what? What's his face? Oh, the the, the Blue Squadron guy. Oh, I'm not. Oh, mustachioed fellow. Yeah. yeah. 
crashes on Scarif. Sad story. I can't remember his name. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's gonna bother me. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Um, but yeah, back to Mon Mothma. Like, <laughs> Marie, like you said, it like Rebel Rebel High Command will be involved. Like when she, I love it when Moth, Mon Mothma is on screen, whether it's uh, Return of the Jedi or Rogue One. It just means that like the big wheels are turning and big stuff is happening if she's involved. So I'm I'm so happy to see her return. Like and I I think we all kind of assumed she'd be back for this. Makes too much sense, but to see it uh, confirmed, it's 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 a relief. And I I I'm always like skeptical when you have to get somebody else to take over a role. And of course, you needed to cast younger because Caroline Blackiston is eighty five now. I think. So, but yeah, uh, O'Reilly is great, and I don't know her from anything other than Rogue One and voice work in Rebels, and the deleted scene in Revenge of the Sith. But I think she's absolutely perfect for the role, and like, yeah, like she's got the same kind of grace and warmth and uh, presence about her that Caroline Blackiston brought to Mon Mothma, and I, I I dig that a lot. Like, there's it's almost like a seamless transition from one person to the next and it's it's perfect but i wonder if rick will tell me what you think that we're getting official news about this series do you think and, and you know a substantial piece of it do you think this is the next show we can expect to see on the service um it's likely i mean we know from that interview that Neil Scanlon did a few weeks ago that they were six weeks into pre-production before everything had to shut down. Um, which if we're doing a side, like a one-to-one comparison for what we know from Obi-Wan, um, we have story treatments for Obi-Wan that are being rewritten and that's about it. We have one casting announcement for Obi-Wan. Um, and I, and I hope he's, and I hope he's good. I hope that guy is good. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's looking more and more likely that this could be the, I'm, you know, it's hard to say, you know, obviously, you know, set pieces for the Cassian show are going to have to be more expansive or there's going to have to be different locations, um, similar to what we're seeing with the Mandalorian. And obviously if they're going to be incorporating the volume into all of the Star Wars, Disney plus shows, that kind of stuff is almost irrelevant um, setting, but you know, assuming that Kenobi only happens on Tatooine for the length of whatever the series is, they don't have to do a lot of set design. They probably don't need a big full cast. Um, so if we're again, if we're doing a one to one, you do need a bigger cast for Cassian. Maybe they can rifle through these stories faster for Kenobi, and they can fast track that show into full production once things are open up again. And it's just moving at a different pace because of whatever the story needs to be. Um, it's a 50-50 at this point. I mean, we, you know, we've got, what, eight confirmed cast members for Cassian or six at this point? Yeah, four I plus, mean, it's, it's plus uh, Alan Tudyk and, yeah. and Diego Luna and me. My, he's my body double, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here you go. So, Marie, this is, is this your, I mean, Rogue One is your favorite Star Wars movie. 
Yes. Is this show number one on your list as far as what's coming from Disney Plus? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, when it was announced, I lost it and just started tweeting nonstop and what like the fact that Twitter blew up at the after the announcement of this show made me so happy and I was just oh I was in hog heaven it, it I'm so excited yeah I mean this show was I mean again I have to always have to preface it with like I'm excited for all the Star Wars but this was at the bottom of my list and now we get some news and some excitement coming from it. And now it's it's I don't know how I sh- how the order shakes out now, but I'm I'm much more excited for it this week than I was a week ago. Maybe I just, you know, maybe got to dangle the carrot in front of my face. Maybe I'm just that easily <laughs> easily stimulated. Oh, well, this this show, this show against Obi-Wan presents two completely different types of Star Wars storytelling. You've got yeah. the war versus the lore, you know, as we hear on uh from Ken Napsok on Force Center, this is should be more action based. You know, we're not going to see Jedi in this. You know, barring an Ahsoka fulcrum appearance, um, it's a completely different thing. To me, that's more exciting as far as storytelling goes. I mean, you, obviously, you can get character development, you can get all of that, all the nuance and things like that. You know, when it's a single character story like Kenobi, Kenobi's going to have a lot of that. I think a lot of that introspective, you know, we're learning more about this man as opposed to we're figuring out how the gears of revolution are being built with Cassian Andor. Mm-hmm. That I, it's they're both completely different. The Cassian thing to me it sounds more exciting. It's also the reason why, for myself, I would rather see an Afra series over an Ahsoka series live action. I love them both, but. There's more action. There's, you know, more fun, I would think, is implied with an Afro story. And it can go to weirder places no, that, yeah. af- that that affect the lore, but not in a way that's, you know, trying to redefine the force every week, you know, or or or, or proving Nathan wrong with his balance of the force <laughs> ideas every week, you know. So I, I, I do want more like action heavy shows, small screen. And they can give me more lore stuff, big screen. I'm good with that. Yeah, that that works. I mean, I still don't know. I mean, I know they tell us like spy thriller type thing for Cassian Andor. I don't quite know what that means. I mean, in smaller detail, I mean, like, what exactly is he spying on? Is he still infiltrating the Empire? Is he that, like Star Wars does this a this lot is... where, like, how many times did Ezra and Kanan infiltrate some sort of Imperial base to get info? Is that going to be Cassian's job? Is just the same guy going in and out, getting info? And what info? Like, what do they need to know? That's what I'm curious about. Like, they, the whole I, Death Star thing have, happens have around know, one. Yeah, but they, you know, so we've heard that this story is taking place five years before Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's got to be, even though he says he's been in this fight since cliched line, um, that you know, he knows the inner workings of what a war can be, what the ideas of revolution are. He's had all of that. It's ingrained in him through his family. We know that, or we've heard rumors that there was supposedly some casting going on for a young Cassian and then possibly his sister at a young age. Um, 
But if this story is five years before Rogue One, you know, the Empire is already, you know, cranking at full steam. And, you know, they're probably trying to find out things about, you know, uh, shipment movements and, you know, things that like when we hear about the like the battles on Mimban, you know, how troops are being moved around and how the Empire is expanding. I would imagine him as a former separatist knowing kind of the inner workings, again, of what that military construct is. If it's just him bouncing around with K2 or if he's doling out like, okay, your mission is to do this, we're going to go do this. You know, I, there, there's lots of little roads I think that they can go with Cassian that present a really cool story. And we're going to see sides of the Empire probably different than what we've already seen. I mean, it would have to be from the OT. We're going to see the inner workings, how things probably started to build up. We're going to start to see divisions like we see with Tarkin and Krennic. You know, there'll probably be some Imperial infighting like that. So that, Cassian can go really deep into that stuff and show the war side of Star Wars. And to me, that's it. exciting. So, yeah. For sure. I'm not trying I'm not trying to get you too hyped over there, Marie. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, one of the reasons I liked Rogue One so much is I had been wanting a Star Wars war movie and we got that. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And um uh oh darn, what was I gonna say? Um I forgot. Don't you hate it? I hate it when that happens. Interrupt me if it comes back. Um, okay. I, I wonder if part of Andor's job will be to kind of go into the, like, infiltrate the Empire and get people out. Like, recruit them. Like, get defectors and, and get them yeah. out of the Empire and in, into the Rebellion. Like, that could be interesting, like too. Wedge. Like, we we saw that in Rebels, where Sabine kind of goes in and gets, gets Wedge out, gets Hobby out. That could be... That could be another interesting thread to pull on. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say. So when they're in the hangar in Rogue One and um, all the people are standing behind Cassian and he says, we've all done terrible things, horrible things, mm-hmm. saboteurs, all that stuff. Like seeing that. A show showing those things, those horrible things happening, I think would be really, really fascinating. That would be that would be very fascinating and challenging, I think, for viewers too. Oh yeah, for sure. Because I mean, we want the rebels to be the good guys, but we know that in war, you know, there are heroes on both sides. Ooh, so. good pull. Good pull. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you're right though. Like the first thing we see Cassian do in Rogue One is shoot some guy in the back. Yes. Like, are we? We're, we're bound to get more of that kind of thing. You know, I think yeah. we're bound to see a very conflicted character and, and a very muddy portrait of of a good guy, or what we you know what we believe the good guys were built on were, were these you know terrible deeds in in the name of the greater good, which which I'm sure. Not having fought a war, I'm sure wars are full of those kinds of things. Right. But yeah, man, bring on Cassian Endor. Let's let's have at it. Uh, all right, so you, Dr. Afra was mentioned. I think it's a good time to bring this up. Um, how about more Dr. Afra in the form of an audiobook original? That's on the way. Um, so this from 
StarWars.com. The Doctor is in once more. StarWars.com and this StarWars.com and This Week in Star Wars are excited to reveal Doctor Aphra, an audiobook original, an expanded adaptation of the kinda good, kinda bad archaeologist introduction in Marvel's Darth Vader series. In the story, Aphra makes a deal with the Sith Lord, never the best idea, and begins a memorable misadventure. You can get a first look at the cover below. This is a podcast, so you won't get that here. Uh, written by Sarah Kuhn, the audio drama will feature a full cast and include new scenes with some familiar faces. And we're sure that Murder Droids Triple Zero and BT will, will be just as, if not more, frightening in audio form. Dr. Aphra, an audiobook original, will be available for download everywhere audiobooks are sold on July 21st. Oh, happy day. How do you feel, Rick? More Afra. How do you feel? Um, I mean, uh, duh, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm 100% for, for this story. I mean, even, even if it is an adaptation of, you know, a, a story we already know from those early Vader books and probably a little bit of the early Afra series, um, hell yeah. I mean, who knows what kind of voice cast I'll have for this thing, um, if it'll be any names that we know, because we don't know anybody I don't know too many people in, in the series outside of Darth Vader that have, you know, we've heard their voices. Um, we did see that picture of Anthony Daniels in uh, in a closet sound booth re-recording lines for The Rise of Skywalker. So maybe he's doing part of the um, audio drop. Maybe he's the voice of Triple uh, Zero, which would be weird to have Anthony oh, Daniels be the, the, be the murder <laughs> droid. So, I mean, that's another reason for Carlos to get all hot and bothered. Um, to have uh, <laughs> Anthony Daniels' voice in this guy, you know, you know, Aunt Carlos is not going to buy this audio book if Anthony Daniels is doing the voice of Triple Zero. But it'd be really cool if he did, though. He, he might have to buy the novel and read that instead and insert his own voice. Well, we, some. Marie, I know you're happy about this. Oh yeah. The only thing is, I'm going to have to sign up for Audible again. <laughs> Just use a, just use another email address. You'll get a free book. Oh, is that how? Can you do that? Or would they ask you for a physical address? In which case, wah, wah. I don't know. I'll look into that because the only reason I got it in the first place was for Jedi Lost. So not, just, so, just so you know, it's not email; it's credit card. Oh uh, well, I've got you know. Imagine ordering a credit card account just for the purpose of having access to free downloads <laughs> talking about this openly you don't have to edit all this out Kyle. no i'm not going to do that you're a brave man <laughs> we've had you. people admit to murder on this show before i mean do i have to edit that out things about a I will listen from, from here on out you're kevin i'm mark and uh, that's uh megan <laughs> We are the Bumbling Saber Podcast. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i always like somewhat opposed to adapting something that exists rather than doing something new. But I'm down with this. Like, I'm okay with this. Like, adapting almost seems like a waste of creative energy and time and resources. But this one I'm okay with. Like, I'm sure Sarah Kuhn's going to shoehorn a ton of new content in. So it's, yeah, I think, it made it pretty clear that there's going to be a lot of new stuff. So, yeah, so it's almost going to feel like a well, new story to me. 
this presents a whole different thing, though. I mean, when when we look at Dooku Jedi Lost, we had a character that we had already seen on screen and we had a voice for him adapted into a medium where it was just his voice. We don't have any of that for Afro. We know what she looks like. We know what her personality is. We don't know what she sounds like. We don't know what her manners of speech are, things like that. Um, and to to have her come into a completely different medium, uh, I is I, to me, it's exciting um, because it's almost the next step in a character revolution, bringing her to a different, wider audience. You know, if 100% of people are Star Wars fans, 20% of them are, you know, read all the books, and then 5% of that read all the comic books, Again, just throwing out rough numbers, but you know, maybe a lot of people don't know Afra all that well. And this is a way to introduce her. Having her actual introduction story is a way to springboard her into another media, you know, form mm-hmm. down if she gets the show, the animated series, whatever it is. I'm, you know, spitballing here. I don't know nothing. And nobody nobody talked to me. My name is Mark. And it could be like, like I said, this could be the thing that like, we'll see how people react to this. We know the comic book is popular amongst comic book buyers. We'll see how many people jump on board with this. And again, this could be the thing that propels her into the next level of, of exposure. Yeah. Like moving up the hierarchy. Right. Cause I think, I think it's clear. I mean, looking at that, uh, well, I'm, again, we'll talk about this when we talk about the clone wars episodes, I think there is a hierarchy of content. It's it's the movies and TV shows, and then the novels, and then there's everything else. And the everything else seems to be subject to being overwritten, if they if they have a better story or something better to enhance that that existing story. So you know that, yeah, she Afra seems to be moving up the ranks, and it, there's that rumor of the the animated series coming. This is just. Maybe priming the pump. And you know, mm-hmm. if if the voice actor, if it's like an accomplished actor and not, you know, I don't want to, I'm not impugning voice acting, but if it's a name, like if you see, if we see the actor and go, well, that, you know, she, this is the voice actor for the book. She's probably going to do the voice acting for the series. And could it be somebody who could also carry the mail if Afra springboards into live action? Like I think that's something to look out for. Like whenever we find out who's doing the voice of Afra, that could be a, a huge clue as to their intentions with the character yeah. for for the years to come. So if it's I mean if it's a a known actor, I think we can pave the way for for a lot of Afra in a lot of different ways, and bring it on. Like she is so much fun. She's such a compelling and strange and funny and a-hole of a character that but you still love her yeah i i I can't see i don't know anybody who reads afra and is like i don't like this character i've never seen Mm -hmm. anybody go terrible character and again it's you know most comic book fans i think are prone to like her anyway and i think as you know if she gets introduced to a wider audience eventually you'll come across people who don't like her that's just the way it is when you get these finally get to the big big audiences but yeah, I, I I think Star Wars fans, by and large, would really like this character if they kept moving her up that chain, and, and even into video games. I've been banging the drum for oh I, yeah the, the Uncharted style Afro game. I've been banging that drum for years. Give me that already. But I'll take the audiobook, and hopefully that that animated show comes comes out as well. That would All be right. Amazing. 
yeah, so looking forward to that. July 21st. Definitely going to be listening to that. Um, do you think, lastly on this thing, so we've got Dooku Jedi Lost and this thing uh, with Afra. Is this just the next step in the audiobook thing? Like, is this going to be an ongoing thing? Or what do you think, Rick? It seems like it, you know, and we all know how much Disney and Lucasfilm hate money. So this is a way for them to, you know, get more of that money that they hate because it's a completely different. I mean, like like with Dooku Jedi Lost, I mean, that thing came out, you had to buy it on Audible. You know, it was, I forget how much it was because I got, that was the, the first audio book that I got I started my account because of that so I didn't pay for it yeah. but I think it was like it wasn't expensive maybe like between somewhere between six and ten dollars for the audiobook because it's only six hours long most Star Wars books are anywhere between maybe nine and 13 hours I would say yeah um so it's it's another and then what did they do with that they went ahead and printed it anyway and you know chuckleheads <laughs> like me bought the book um <laughs> yeah Yep. But so yeah, I mean, so and I mean, I have it twice, and um, <laughs> you know, but again, it, it's another way for them to to pull in money, and it seems like I think it's pretty cool. You know, it harkens back to the to the original trilogy when they had the radio dramas. Um, yeah. If I can if I can call out uh, RFB on that one because he's always rattling on about the old radio dramas um, and how cool those things were, um, especially you know considering they had you know the actors come in and you know reprise their roles for that, and you know. And obviously had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's, you know, there's that nostalgia of like, cool, it's it's a radio drama in that sense. And it's also, you know, could be a compelling way to tell new stories. Um, and, you know, we all know there's some people who just don't read the books. And this is a way for, you know, plug in an earbud at work. And if it's another six hour story, that's a day that that's a work day where you can get through the story, you know, um, and have some fun with it. Yeah, and especially like a character like Afra, I there's so many jokes and such a, like so much. Uh, I'll say edgy for Star Wars. Uh, that that like a edgier humor in Star for Star Wars that is part of the Afra character. I think that would go over well, she, really well in an audio. She form. presents she presents another type of moral ambiguity. You know, like we were talking about Cassie and kind of skirting the line between we know he's the quote unquote good guy, but he's done questionable things. Um, it kind of shows on his face that he's got a little bit of regret in Rogue One, like he's not happy with all of the decisions that he's made. But we know for Afra and the comic series up until the last few issues, she doesn't really seem to carry a lot of guilt. You know, she's it's not so much that she's selfish or out for herself. She's you know, working a job, she's trying to collect some artifact and she ends up in some wacky hijinks because of it in some weird, you know, auction or getting tracked down by um, a weird, you know, married couple where the wife is a Trandoshan and the male is like <laughs> some bubbling him. idiot. Yeah. Um, you know, for, she comes across, you know, hook spores that, you know, have, they're imbued <laughs> with the Jedi spirit. Like there's all of these weird things that come up in her stories that are really cool. Um but again, like she, she presents this moral ambiguity that, again, you know, up until the last arc of the series that ended in December, um, that really formulated her character, and it shows him she is still human. She does care about people. She does have a level of regret. But in the moment, 
she knows what she's got to do. She's got a singular focus. Like I got to get the thing. I got to outbid the guy or whatever it is. And we're going to see her kind of muscle through things in a way that's not say as questionable as a Cassian Andor with his show. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's her character development. She's just like, yeah, I know what I got to do. And I, you know, it's the thing. And I, I'm here to learn and sell it to the highest bidder, you know? So she's out that way. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, that all makes her such a compelling thing. Um, Marie, audiobooks, are you, are you a fan of them or do you prefer the printed story? I actually prefer reading, reading it. My, I mean, I enjoy, mm, it was fun with Duke of Jedi Lost to hear all the different voices. Um, so that's enjoyable, but I do prefer reading it myself because then I can go at my own speed and I can see the biggest thing is this. I can see how things are spelled. <laughs> oh, you don't want to get caught like not hyphenating words. I know. <laughs> so that's the big thing for me is because when I when I wrote my review of Duke of Jedi Lost, I was totally guessing on most of the spellings. And I was just like, I feel like a moron and I can't search the things on Wikipedia because I don't know how they're spelled. And some of the things I was way off and i was just like this is so hard <laughs> i feel that pretty bad like yes i i hate making typos I hate it it drives me crazy so like not knowing yep. how to spell something oh rough yeah, yeah. I, I i'm with you under normal circumstances like i prefer to read my books the downside is it takes me so long to get through it yeah so audiobooks i can sit at work and plow through it, but it comes at a cost in that, you know, I love to listen to podcasts and I hate, I hate putting aside podcasts for like, a, you know, a day or two at work and right. falling behind. I, I, that drives me cuckoo. Uh, so, there, I mean, there's, there's pluses and minuses, but I am certainly stoked for more Afra. I'm excited oh, that yeah. they're focusing on this character and not forgetting her. It'd be easy to forget about this character now that we're moving away from the Skywalker saga. It could they could just say you know what we're done. She had two, uh, two volumes of her comic book series. She's you know she's had she's had success, but you know maybe we'll come back to her someday. But they're they're they've got a third volume coming for her audiobook, animated series possibly. This character is a big deal. Oh yeah. So let's let's see where it goes. Uh, anyway, so now we're gonna kind of move towards uh, the Clone War end of things uh, quickly here. This news came out a couple weeks ago, but. We're finally getting that Clone Wars anthology book. We knew about we knew it was coming, but now we know the when. So Star Wars, the Clone Wars, Stories of Light and Dark, a new anthology coming August 25th. Uh, features stories, 11 stories by 11 different authors. I'm not going to read all their names. Uh, and includes 10 retellings of memorable episodes and arcs and one original Night Sisters-based story. In addition, stories of light and dark will fe also feature beautiful watercolor renditions of Clone Wars characters by uh, Ksenia Zelensova. And so, we're, we're, you know, we're all in this uh, honeymoon period with the clones, but this feels like a must-buy to me. Even if it's retellings of st of Clone Wars stories we already know, this is going to be such a uh, an amazing in-depth look 
at at some of the great episodes from the show. Uh, Marie, how do you feel about this book? We haven't spoken about it yet at all. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious, how, how are you feeling about this? Well, I am so excited that Lou Anders is writing one of the stories. Oh, my goodness. So that, when I saw his name, I, I was like, this is going to be fantastic. So um, that was really exciting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, obviously I wish they were brand all brand new stories. But I think... Of course, since I read everything, I like I, you know, I'm reading. I read the adult novelization of Rise of Skywalker, and now I'm reading the junior novelization. And when the graphic novel comes out, I'll read that. So I, I read all the different adaptations of everything. So I, I mean, I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm super looking forward to it. How about you, Rick? Um. Yeah. You know this. Um. This set of stories sounds pretty cool. Um, back in January, I threw out a tweet just saying like, hey guys, friendly reminder, we're getting this Clone Wars book in August and tagged um, all of the writers that we knew at the time and got some interesting responses at the time um, as far as who's writing who and some allusions to who may be writing who. So again, this is going back second week of January we had heard that Zoraida Cordova was going to be writing a story centered around uh, Ventress and that Rebecca Roanhorse was writing a story uh, centered around Maul. Um, Tom Engelberger, who he wrote, um, they had those, the junior adaptations of the original trilogy uh, books. They had the, the black covers. I don't remember what that, they had different titles. Um he said this, I'm quoting this. Uh, he says, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to tell, but I'm pretty sure he says, I'm pretty sure you will know the character I chose. Um, I don't know if he was talking to me specifically. Oh, I remember this. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you know, if you know and, Rick's avatar. Yeah. On Twitter. So, yeah, baby. yeah um, my guess is that Tom Engelberger might be writing some Cad Bane, which would be pretty sweet. Um, and I don't think anybody else said anything, um, specific about characters that they were going to be writing. Um, I know Lou Anders said that at the time back in January, he had just submitted his revisions. Um, Lou Anders went on to say that his story is a two episode arc told from a single character's point of view. Um, he also says it wasn't, it wasn't Hondo. Oh. Um, yeah, no, he says it. And Tom Engelberger says his was based on a four-episode arc from the single, from a single character's point of view. So obviously, as we do, speculative wheels, all of that stuff um, is uh, is really fun to uh, to kind of jump into. You know, who's going to be doing what? Who we think is going to be doing what? Um, but the intriguing thing is that we're getting this brand new story about the Night Sisters. Yeah. Um, Given what you know, what we talked about a few weeks ago with uh, Son of Dathomir and uh, Mother Talzin's connections to Palpatine, um, maybe we get some more of that past story. Because I remember the the woman who voiced Mother Talzin again back in maybe February, early March, she had said that Dave Filoni said that that he wanted she he quote unquote promised her that there was going to be a story that centered on. Talzin and Palpatine's past and how Talzin was like 
Palpatine made these promises to her and basically stabbed her in the back and then stole her son. Um, so there's a history there that hasn't been totally fleshed out. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the concept of this book sounds really cool. Obviously what we're getting in the show is really cool. Getting Michael Maurice's comic series eventually all sounds really cool. You know, this year has been very Clone Wars heavy for, you know, different kinds of material. Um, I'm all in for this book. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we've been agreeing all night, the three of us, it's kind of boring, but yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this book, man. It's it. I'm looking forward to Jason Fry's story just based on what he did with the last Jedi novelization. Oh yeah. I'm really curious to see what he's doing. I'd love to see what he's doing. And also interesting. Um, Anne Convery, Dave Filoni's wife is writing a story. And I'm just interested in what, what is she just, I want to know what she's doing and what sort of insight she would bring to it. Cause you know, she's, you know, flicking his ear and asking him questions. You ever get flicked in the ear? <clears throat> that hurts. And I'm sure she, <laughs> it really hurts. I can tell you what, what Jason Fry said back in January. Um, so, Rebecca Roanhorse is the one that said the right Zoraida was writing Zoraida Cordova was writing Ventress. Jason Fry then said, "Wait, are we letting Tuca's out of bags?" Oh, fine. I says, "My writing assignment, <laughs> a great honor it is. Excited I am for more details. Wait, you must." Huh. And he went on. I can't he went on uh, yeah, but he also said later on that same day. Um, was, there was another user who said, uh, with that speech padding, you're clearly writing the battle droids. Can't wait. I was joking. <laughs> and Jason Fry said, Roger, Roger. Wait, was that the right verb tense? Oh, well, it's my programming slash gets cut into. So he's obviously not writing droids. But um, yeah. So if Jason Fry is writing a Yoda story. It could be the first. Which is what? Like the first, I think the very first Clone Wars episode was Yoda. With some clones. Area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, on yeah exactly ambush. on Todaria. Yeah, yeah, but he also he could be doing the uh, oh the season six? his lost mission. Yeah, when he yeah. meets up with uh, yeah he meets with up the, with the um, um, those little glowy things, the priestesses of the Force. Yeah, yeah. and the stuff on Dagobah. Oh boy, I, I you almost need a novel for that though. Is it 700 pages, this book, and like 500 given to Jason Fry? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I do wonder, though, like, are these going to be, you know, they, they call it memorable episodes and arcs. Like, I wonder if these are like big name arcs. Or if they're kind of a little more obscure and memorable for reasons that maybe not everybody remembers them for. I they would have love to, they... to see A Sunny Day in the Void. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, <laughs> Mieber Gascon, that's my dude. People think I joke when I said I love Mieber Gascon so much. So I need great. so much more of that. <laughs> I see so much hate for that arc. And I'm like, what it's is so, wrong with you people? That so one good. episode, that one single episode is so out there and weird and <laughs> different from what we expect out of Star Wars. And it's fantastic. I love that episode so much. It's the weirdest arc in the history of the series. Yeah. It's so bizarre. And I, I love it. And I love me Gaskin as well. It's he's so funny. He's so good. And I, I keep talking about it. I want to see me Gaskin's blaster. 
it would it would fit on a keychain. Like that's what we're talking about when when we talk about this guy's weapons. They're so tiny. I want to see it. You know, he's, you know he's got one. Does it hurt as much as a regular blaster? Like how does how does it work? I'm going to ask Matt Martin. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, one more interesting to note, like uh, the artist of the book, she's somebody that I've been following on Instagram for a long, long time, years. And a ton of her work focuses on Clone Wars and Rebels. And like she was just a fan. She was like any one of us who just did great work, Copic markers, pencils, and posted it to Instagram. And she developed a following. Like she opened up a little online shop like everybody's got. Uh, but like her work has gotten her such a following and her love of the Star Wars animated stuff. Like you know, uh, John and Marie Macias, like her love, like she's got the similar sort of love for all the animated stuff. It's so pure and contagious that like she couldn't help but catch Lucasfilm's attention. And she's got this amazing gig out of it now. So I I think that was worth mentioning because like I'm I'm so happy for her. And I sent her a That's note on true. Instagram. Like, it's so great to see that kind of thing happen. So, yeah. And, yeah. It, it's, 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 I, I love that Lucasfilm did this for her. So, yeah. We're about to be blessed with uh, some great new stories. Adaptations of stories. But new context and some awesome art to go with it. Yeah. All right. Can't wait. Can't wait. August is a long way off. Though. Hopefully this, uh, this whole pandemic thing doesn't bump that down the road like I, now, I, this book with this book was supposed to come out the week of celebration right at the end of august or the week before celebration so you wonder if this would have been like you know that variant cover you know con exclusive book um because thrawn got pushed back to october i think Right, and you know they were talking about that doing the uh, the the blue binding on the pages. So like this could have been the con exclusive book for this you know for the year. Even Charles Soule's book is is this, it's the same date, August twenty fifth. Same, yeah, same date. So that's also would probably would have been another con exclusive because Celebration had two con exclusives with uh, Queen Shadow and Master and Apprentice, and I have them both. So suck it. <laughs> <laughs> New to Medicare? Go to MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, you can compare plans from some of the nation's top insurers. Start now to find a plan and apply online. MyHealthPolicy.com makes it easy to find a Medicare Advantage plan in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. My decision, my Medicare, MyHealthPolicy.com. All right, uh, let's let's uh, stick with the uh, the Clone Wars and head into season seven, episode ten, the Phantom Apprentice. Oh boy! Oh, oh boy! You know, coming into this episode, I think the bar had been raised to this ridiculous level. Like, given the way the arc started with the, you know, just even with the updated intro and then the full music and all that stuff, like, what a tough act to follow. But then this this episode, mm-hmm. like it, it maintained that epic and uh, cinematic quality of the opener. And I, I know we've been saying it all season long, but the animation and music have gone to another level. It's yeah. embarrassing how good this show looks and sounds now. Embarrassing. Crazy. 
Um, so the overlap, guys, I I'm loving this. The overlap hey. with Revenge of the Sith continues. Like we we learn early on that uh, Dooku is now dead, and Obi Wan, in, in talking to Ahsoka, he is about to be heading off to Utapau to get, capture Grievous. So uh, leaving that aside, just to kind of get frame up the episode, Marie, what do you like? I thought Maul was as interesting as he's ever been in this episode. Like, what was your what are your thoughts on Maul in this episode? Oh, I loved it. I He seems plagued, just like mentally and emotionally plagued by visions and knowledge. And like, he is struggling. I, I, it, I just found it fascinating. Like, it was all so convoluted, but I loved it. Well, there's so much going on and all these threads now coming together. It's, and it's all like, it's, it's kind of all centering on Maul or Maul has a piece of it all at this point. Rick, what do you think? What are you thinking about Maul as we get into this, uh, I guess, climax of, of the Ahsoka Maul confrontations? You know, when, when the episode ended and we'll, we'll get into, you know, kind of bullet points of the, of the show, but when it ended, all I could think of was, the the Freddie Prince kind of rant where he describes him as Sisyphus, where he's right there on the edge of greatness, only to fall back down or get knocked back down, you know, just to push that ball up again, that boulder up to the to the precipice. You know what I mean? He's he's always been so close. Um, the idea that that Maul has been that he's right um, in his interpretation of things, and he's. He's always known, you know, this question came up a few months ago of like, was he aware of Palpatine's plans? Did he know? And it's like, yeah, he says earlier in Clone Wars in season four or five or something that he knew, he says something like, uh, so it has begun mm-hmm. uh, in in regards to some of Palpatine's uh, plans. Um, and this is all just, everything's come to a head for him. And it's like, it's happening. He knows that Palpatine, is going to win the the loose thread for him is anakin we hear that you know he's he's had visions you know previous to this episode where he's he talks about the name skywalker does he i don't know does he say the name anakin or is it just skywalker he i think his first mention he's talking about kenobi and his loyal foal I, I think that's the first okay. reference he makes to Anakin. And he talks about him again. He talks about, he does say the word Skywalker later in the episode. To Ahsoka. Right. But see, and this, this is why when I, I've seen this debate kind of come up and I, it's not even just outside of the talk that was in uh, the Tomic Saber group um, with people saying, why would Kenobi have thought Luke was the chosen one? You know what I mean? Over Anakin earlier on. And why would Maul's perception also change? If he's referencing, if he does say Anakin specifically in this, why does he then ask, is he the chosen one seemingly in reference to Luke in Rebel in Twin Sons? Um, to me, if, we, if we're hearing in this episode that 
Maul had a vision. Maybe his vision wasn't that clear, and he only has the name Skywalker. He doesn't mm-hmm. know if it's Anakin or a, a future Luke. I mean, obviously, nobody knows that Luke is even going to be coming besides, you know, Padme at this point, and well, Anakin too at this point. Um, but so the assumption would be just if it's just this name, you know, if and that's the only Skywalker he knows at this point is Anakin. That would be his assumption. That, you know, everything hinges on him, but it can also be interpreted that things could hinge on Luke later on. And his vision was just at just that vague where it could be either one given context, you know. Yeah, but we- as far as Maul's, Maul's outreach, like just as a character in this arc so far in these two episodes is some of the best Maul stuff that we've gotten in this whole series. Yeah, I mean, this this series since resurrecting him in what season four or whatever it was, it he went from just being like this mute blunt object in Phantom Menace who he was cool. Everybody loves Maul from Phantom Menace, but he was, there was nothing to him. He was one dimensional. And now he's like this fully realized character who's got this, you know, great archetype, like, you know, the Sisyphus reference. He's, he's a fantastic character now. And I used to like, before we got all this stuff, I was like, ah, I'm kind of done with Maul. But now it's like, it's, and especially with him, leading Crimson Dawn, it's, he's super interesting now. And it, it's just because like Marie said, he's all, oh, he's so close. He's, he's always, I, I think, I think for us too, I'd like for us three specifically, the fact that we had just gone through son of Dathomir and knowing his role leading into this arc, like it gave us that much more to use a Coryism, uh, gravitas, mm-hmm. um, com, com, coming into the arc. You know, we know what he's about. We know what he had just been through, we know that he's aware of everything and what the stakes are, both personally and in for the galaxy as a whole. He knows it all, you know? Yeah. Well, I've been wondering yeah. about that idea of, of Maul. And like, he seems very much confused by the idea of Skywalker, like the name Skywalker. Like he, he definitely knows about Anakin and he speaks about the dread around that name. But like, I'm wondering if his visions are just incomplete or unclear like we have to remember Padme is about to give birth. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the Skywalkers are about to like triple in number. Uh, so I don't know if he's dreading the, like what Anakin's role is to be in the moments that follow, or if he's dreading that the light side, like the light side is about to get some, some more teammates. I'm not quite, I think he's probably more immediately concerned about, the dark side of it all. Like, I think he's dreading yeah. Anakin's fall here and he knows that Anakin is about to, to lay waste to everything. You know, he, he does say in the episode, I, I just remember, he does say that Anakin was being groomed to be Sheev's next apprentice. Right. Yeah. His prize. So that, yeah. yeah. That he, um, orchestrated the Mandalore war to draw out Obi-Wan and Anakin so that he could dep- kill Anakin and deprive Sidious of his most prized pupil. Mm-hmm. What is like, what is a Sidious thing for him to do? Yeah. He, he's always trying to emulate his old master, but he's, he's just not, he's just not clever enough. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Like to think that he, if Maul would have a little more foresight things could have gone his way like so if you imagine he hadn't taken revenge on kenobi by killing satine when he did like that was just a murder that he did purely out of spite 
for Kenobi. But what a valuable piece she'd be to have him play now. Like I, I don't know if uh, Kenobi and Anakin would have come running to the situation on on Mandalore, given what's happening on Coruscant. But imagine Kenobi's internal conflict if if he knew that Maul was on Mandalore and had captured Satine. You know, like Maul would have mm. had a much better chance of having his plan play out of Kenobi and Anakin showing up if if you know if, if Satine was in danger. Instead he doesn't have that card to play because he killed her in cold blood. That's yeah. a tough call to make because you know we hear again I we hear Kenobi say in the last episode like I can't let my personal feelings get in the way. Yeah. We know that that's a trait that Obi-Wan has at this point. Would he be willing to you know leave Satine hanging out there as bait for him? And not act on it, knowing that there's a larger conflict. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? He, he, they probably it's, it's go back to anyway. Say. I mean, we have Revenge of the yeah. Sith, so it's kind of dictated. But um, yeah, it's still, still would have been, would have been really interesting. Um, yeah, does Maul know everything? Like, he knows it's Sidious's plan, but does he? To. Does he know that Sidious is Palpatine? Because I, I don't know that Sidious tells would tell anyone everything. Like Maul, he, everybody seems to know enough. Dooku seems to know enough. Maul seems to know enough. But do they do either of them specifically Maul in this case? Do they know everything? I don't think Maul knows about the chip chips because he says something along the lines of, "I know it's about to happen, but I don't know the specifics." Yeah, so I don't think he knows that the clones have chips on them. But he's aware of this. He's aware of the plan, or at least the the machinations that Palpatine's got something right. up his sleeve. Well, you know, he, he, I, yeah, and that, well, that's the question: Does he know that it's? Does he know it's Sidious's machinations that are about to come into fruition, or does he know that it's the Chancellor that's been doing this the whole time? I'm, I would have to say no. I think that to, for him, he doesn't know. Because I think given all of his hatred of Sidious at this point, why not just come out and say it? Why wouldn't he be the one to say Sidious is the emperor? At, you know what I mean? Like, why wouldn't he try to sabotage him that way? That's true. Instead of trying to do all of this stuff from behind the scenes. Exactly. I, I think Dooku's maybe the only person that knows that Dooku and the Chancellor are the same, or that Sidious and Palpatine are the same. He might be the only person. But does he also know that he's the Senate? Mm. <laughs> I mean, does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Maul refers to, to Anakin as, as the key to everything. So yeah, he mm -hmm. he knows about Anakin's role in exter exterminating the Jedi. So that much is clear. But yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, oh, this is just all such fascinating stuff. And we, we know, we also know that the Jedi Order has, like, they, they've kind of figured out that Darth Sidious has orchestrated this war, but they don't yeah. know who Sidious is or where he's at. So they're still completely clueless. Obviously, they, you know, it's not until in the next hour that Anakin kind of puts two and two together. But at this point, they, they know Sidious. That's it. Well, that, 
it happens concurrently with this episode where Anakin finally learns that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys saw the one uh, Twitter user that heard the Palpatine kind of yell. The scream when, when he kind of launches into action, right? Right. That it, that syncs up with when Maul makes his very first move against Ahsoka. Um, and to play those two scenes side by side, you know, it, it turns into when Ahsoka drops her sabers is very close to the moment that Anakin is dubbed Darth Vader. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, that's that's one of the cool things that I'm I'm really liking about this arc and how it's paralleling to Revenge of the Sith, how they're what they decided to do within the animated show to let us know they're happening at the same time. You know, in the last episode, we had the opening of Revenge of the Sith over Coruscant. It's the exact same music playing yeah, when that blew my mind. Ahsoka jumps, yeah, jumps out of the ship um, and races Rex to the surface. It's the same music letting us know it's happening at the exact same time. With this, we know that the Ahsoka and Maul lightsaber duel is the same time that Mace goes to arrest uh, Palpatine in his quarters and obviously Vader's fall, which tells me that the next episode where is going to be order 66 and then yeah. the last episode last episode will probably be some kind of sonic parallel to the exile of the jedi you know where we see you know obi-wan leaves yoda leaves and then Yo- and then ahsoka has to disappear too and we see her fake her death with rex so i think that that's going to be the parallel moment that runs you know, parallel to the movie i think it's a genius way to to connect the two things oh, and the, so good. the force the, yeah, the, the foresight to do that and make the timing work, um, especially for for this episode to have that that parallel, like this the symbolic parallel of her dropping the sabers, and Anakin dropping to his knees, saying, "What have I done?" You know, it's it's I, I, I you know people like us who don't necessarily do videos and or create movies in that way, just the amount of. Uh, the attention to detail to get things down to the second, like making sure that you have the right amount of words and just the pacing of everything. And how long is a shot? Now, can we shave a 10th of a second off this shot? Like just getting everything down so that it, that they work together in that way. It's, 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 it's crazy. And it's one of those things that goes overlooked, but boy, that that's, that's some serious artistry right there. Yeah. You know, for like I said, for, for the first episode, uh, having just a straight piece of music show that parallel is one thing and it's great and it works. But for what they had to do in this second episode with the fight, because it's not just an animated fight, it's motion capture. Oh, they so had bad. to choreograph, they had to choreograph this fight well enough and edit it down well enough, have it animated well enough to fit a time frame. And Ray Park and Lauren Marie Kim, who did the motion capture for um, Ahsoka were on fire this episode. Oh, I mean, like raise a glass s- to those two men. Yeah. Ray Park does that. Like this, like double tap with the, with the, uh, with his, with his saber where he like, he jumps and he like taps it down at her. And that was the moment I'm like, Oh, that's Ray Park. Like mm-hmm. it looks different than all of the other mall animation that we've seen as far as his movements are concerned. And I'm like, it was so obvious to me in that moment that I'm like, there's footage of them somewhere 
doing this. <laughs> Looking ridiculous and in mocap suits. <laughs> I don't care. I, I want to see oh, what they had to do to get this thing down. I, it's it's mind-blowing. The animation on top of it was was gorgeous, um, except for, uh, you know, I had some minor issues with the way the lightsabers looked because they don't, as they trail away, they don't fade. It's just a single... A single solid know, blurry line. line. Yeah, it's it, it's a little let's super minor nitpick. Uh, you know, I don't want to make it a big deal, but um, because everything around it was just absolutely gorgeous. From the way when they're standing in that room and the glass shatters and they're just standing there, I, just to see, there's no way in season one we would have seen glass fall and look like that. No, you know, oh to to no. have that moment of them just standing there completely ignoring it as cool as they are. Um, and it just, it's a, it's a gorgeous shot. It's a beautiful scene. And people say, you know, again, Twitter saying that, you know, here, here's Dave Filoni subtly tipping his, his fedora to uh, the last Jedi, because there's that shot from the supremacy of, of uh, Kylo and Ray in the, in the uh, throne room with the, you know, the, the red flags kind of like the burning embers of <laughs> that kind of raining down around them. And this is a very similar shot where uh, at that moment where Maul sort of extends his hand, that offer to Ahsoka, and it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a very similar type of shot. So people are like freaking out over that kind of parallel, which, you know, you got to mm-hmm. give it to them. I mean, there's there was another one from the first episode with uh, Anakin's kind of staring down the Separatist army and looks it's framed up the same way that uh, Luke stares down the First Order in The Last Jedi. So, you know, people are mm-hmm. loving those parallels. But yeah, just to go back, oh my god, the, that the mocap was so compelling. It was so good. Like Ray Ray Park's physicality, just, it, it just shone through, and it just made that that duel so cool to watch. Marie, like, how how badly did you freak out watching that duel? It was awesome. I oh, I thought at the end of it, I was like. He Maul is about to slice through that beam, and Ahsoka is about to fall a very far distance. Like I knew that's what was going to happen, but it didn't. <laughs> um, but that the whole thing was just, and when that glass broke and the embers and everything, like it was so well done. It was pretty mind blowing. Like the whole thing, like you, like Maul's swagger too. Like he's sitting on that throne with Jesse down on his knees at his side, and he's got one leg up on that throne. And it's like, oh, yeah. you jerk, you smug jerk. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Maul? Oh man, nothing's gonna go your way. <laughs> but I, I love the similarities between Ahsoka and Maul as we get deeper into this. Like they're right. both. Like they're both formally part of a larger whole, but like the you know the big difference I think between them is that you know, Maul sees them both as being discarded rejects, but I think the re- in reality like yes Maul's definitely a reject, but Ahsoka chose to leave for herself, so she's she she was she was not discarded. She left on her own, and I think it's such a powerful uh, statement on how the characters have a like the worldview of each character and like Maul only looks at everything as being a possession or something to use or throw away and discard um and everyone everyone is either 
you know, uh, under somebody, like everybody has a boss. Everybody's under somebody's thumb or should be under someone else's dominion. Like the whole idea to Maul of walking away from, from something as powerful as a Jedi. I don't think Maul gets that. So the way that Ahsoka is where she doesn't serve anybody, but the greater good at this point, like they're, they're, they have some similarities, but they are, they're inverse images of each other in a lot of ways. Rick, what do what do you think? Am I, am I nuts? No, I, it makes sense. You know, they are um, kind of a yin and yang, you know, uh, in that sense. Where, I mean, yeah, you know, they, they left the groups that they were in under, dip, well, half of Maul left the group that he was a part of. And Ahsoka um, was able to stay intact. But no, I mean, what it does, what, what, what you get from both of these characters, the insight is what they did with betrayal maul was betrayed and essentially left for dead and i mean i mean he basically was but he carried his rage to a point all the way through the rest of his life that was very single-minded you know it was all about just revenge and hatred and he was out to get kenobi he's been out to get Sidious this whole time and try to foil his plans and we see with ahsoka um she was essentially betrayed by the Jedi Order when she was put on trial. Um, and Anakin was the only one that took up for her. And like I said uh, the last time we talked, that, you know, the the arc that she had with Rafa and Trace was about her reestablishing a trust um, it, in probably the most general sense of the word. You know, she had to get to a place where she could become that good again, you know, um, she had to believe in herself because that trust had been shattered. The only foundational uh, uh, structure organization that, yeah, that she'd ever known was completely swept away from her. Um, and then at the end of it, they tried to extend an olive branch like, oh, well, you passed your test. And she was like, screw you guys. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not how any of this, that's not how the force works. And, yeah. you know, she had to have this journey that as quote unquote small as it seems, you know, in, in a storytelling sense was uh, monumental for her. Yeah. So we, we see what we see how they deal with levels of mistrust and how they've gone to either grow beyond it uh, in, in her case or fall or deep into that. Well, in Maul's case, yeah, like ah- Ahsoka, like when she leaves the order, like her first move is to kind of go off on her own, have some introspection, like some self-reflection and you know, figure out her space. Uh, how does she cope without being a Jedi, her power set, putting that away for a while. And then Maul, the first time he's back in the picture, first thing he does is like start thinking about revenge and conquest again. Like there's no growth with this guy. It's just keep going down the same path. The one that just doesn't work just keep going he like he this guy cannot learn yeah oh i i love i love those kind of parallels and, and inversions of of the characters like even the symbolism I, I i don't know if this is too on the nose um so the maul deloreans look like maul and ahsoka's clones have her likeness painted on their helmets like there's there's some striking real on the nose kind of uh, symbolism there. 
And I don't know. I, huh. I, I haven't mean, thought about that. I don't know what else to look into that, if anything. I, I don't know if it's just a way to kind of tell these people apart, but yeah, to to an extent. But it but it does say something about loyalty. You know, they the the five hundred first or the three hundred thirty second painted her likeness out of loyalty. They respect her. The Mandalorians that you know, Death Watch changed their gear um, as a bid for power to show a might. You know, they didn't just throw paint on themselves. They changed their entire look and put horns on their helmets. You know, it's it's a fear tactic and one of, you know, bread of intimidation. There's no loyalty in any of that. And then look what happened. It's Gar Saxon's like, hey, yo, Maul, you want to uh, come help me out? And Maul's like, nah. nope. And Gar Saxon's <laughs> yeah. like, well, thanks. Thanks die, a whole lot. Well, yeah. So, yeah, there's no loyalty on that side. And everything about the 331st is it's nothing but loyalty to Ahsoka, even though they, by rights, should have no stake in that game anymore for her. She's not a part of the order. But they, like we hear in the in her introductions, you know, in, in, in the whole series, when she's talking to Rex and Rex says, you know, or he, she says, uh, technically I outrank you. And he says, um, ex, you know, he, he bases that based on experience. She's had all of that experience. And the 332nd, they're all about expressing their loyalty because of that. They've seen what she's been through, the wars that she's been through as a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl and leading these armies. And for Maul, it's just, I crawled my way out of the pits of hell and I have gained this power. And if you want to come with me, you're more than welcome. And that's what they do. There's there's no loyalty on that side. Yeah, like... Ahsoka's earned the loyalty of those clones. And whereas Maul just kind of comes in and, and intimidates until you join him. And that, that's, that's a huge stark difference. One thing, oh God, one thing that, that caught my, my ear. So Maul is giving that like rah, rah speech to the Mandalorians down in the tunnels talking about, you know, you're going to go out there and fight and die a warrior death. And he's getting them all revved up. And then he says something to the effect that it, it isn't the Mandalorian way to hide in tunnels. And then when you think about in the gutters, hide in the gutters. And then when you think about what, where are Mando's living in the Mandalorian series? That, that is the way. Yep. yep. They're in the gutters. So crazy. It's almost like the same <laughs> people work on these shows. <laughs> It's so good. It's that 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 was like one of those mind melting moments for me. Um, so we got to talk oh. about this. Um, and I don't know if if we're about to slip into a rabbit hole here, but this episode kind of breaks with canon in terms of the details. Like the Ahsoka novel, at least that five page opener on the Siege of Mandalore, has been kind of swept away. Like yeah. the the end result is the same, where Maul is captured. Uh, but the details have been kind of smashed. And I, I like this better for obvious yeah. reasons. Uh, but that novel's been undercut. And in a world where they told us that everything matters, they completely trashed, uh, you know, a, a five-page prologue. But, like, who's to say where the line is now? Like, Marie, how does that make you feel? And, and I know that we kind of looked at E.K. Johnston's Twitter over the weekend, and she seems absolutely riveted by what they're doing. Uh, she did not express one 
single note of like, oh man, who knows if she said it differently privately, but she seems completely happy with what they're doing. How about you? Like, how do you feel that they've kind of gutted part, one of the cool parts of that book? Well, I mean, I was definitely disappointed. Um, I went back and, and read it. Uh, so I watched the episode on Friday and then before I watched the episode for a second time yesterday, I read the prologue and I was like, wait a second, this is totally different. And then in watching it the second time, I was like, yeah, it is totally different. And of course, as a canon junkie, it makes me upset. But at the same time, what we got was so freaking amazing and all the the talks about Maul's visions and Skywalker and um, Sidious's prized pupil and like all this stuff, it it got so deep that I think it was definitely the right choice. And I just thought about this: there's a possibility that part of what happens in the prologue might just be something that we didn't actually see. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of trash talk between the two in, in that prologue. And a lot of it was was good. Like Johnston did some really cool trash talk. Um, Yeah. Ahsoka calls Maul uh, half a Sith. Like that, Oh, that needed to, I I wish that was still in, but yeah. Rick, how do you feel about uh, feeding this five-page prologue kind of in the shredder, the paper shredder? She could still tell him that if they capture him and we see at the beginning of the next episode, you know, she's got something to say to him. She could throw that at him in and in just changed, you know, changed the context of, of setting more than anything else yeah. up for the prologue, um, which it's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, no, E.K. Johnson has been like, she seems to be very enthralled with what they're doing for Ahsoka with this arc um, because outside of Dave Filoni or who's written, you know, uh, individual episodes of the show with her, she's kind of the only other person who has been able to tell a story with her, you know, obviously under his guidance, he probably said, no, don't do this or yes, you can do that. Um, But she's been the only other voice of Ahsoka that we've had so far. Um, if she's all on board with it, I'm good with it. Um, so I, I, it doesn't really matter because um, Ahsoka's the Ahsoka novel. It, as a as a kind of like mid tier book, I mean it's good, um, but it, I I don't think it carries the same weight as uh, some of the other Star Wars novels do. Um, it's a fun read, but it doesn't. It's not it's not as weighty. Like it doesn't seem to be as consequential as uh, some of the other um, novels that we've had over the last couple of years. So it doesn't really bother me one way or the other. What I can say about this book, um, this is one of the few hardcovers that I don't own yet. And back at the beginning of the year, I was doing a lot of like eBay searches for like, Oh yeah, I want to get, I want to grab the last couple of books that I need to kind of fill out. Um, my my canon hardcovers and early in the year the ahsoka novel regularly was on ebay like in droves there were so many hardcover copies and they would sell anywhere between 10 and 25 dollars for a first edition hardcover 
I've been looking in the last week. I have not seen a copy of the Ahsoka hardcover under $80. What? Oh, wow. Yeah. There's, there are copies. On, yeah, there's copies on eBay. Uh, I've only seen three copies listed in the last week. The most recent had a starting point at $80, and the other two were between $100 and $120 each. Oh, my Whoa. God. Yeah. So people, if they didn't have that book, then have their, they snatched it up and maybe, you know, obviously we can't go to a lot of bookstores to see if they're out there. Like there's a half price books near me that I haven't been able to go to, but I, you know, looking on their website, I did not see any hardcover copies of the novel. There's paperbacks out there that you can get left and right. And they're only, you know, five, eight, $12, whatever. Um, that won't do for the for hardcover army. No, I mean, you know, as, <laughs> I mean, as as a hardcover collector, you know, A, there's no way in hell I'm paying $80 for a book. B, I'm not paying $80 for a book that was okay. Um, you know, it, it says something for like we were talking about with um, with Carmelo, that kind of speculators market that people probably bought it up thinking like, oh, this arc is going to change her character. And like, I got to get on this thing so I can sell it later on. Um, but it also, if that's not the case, it says something about the popularity of her character that people said, you know, Maybe there's a percentage of that where people just said, I need to have this book because I love her character and I never took the time to read it before. And, you know, she's a key player in the series again. And, you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you there for sure. Like this, the, the, the Ahsoka novel, like I had huge hopes for it and I, I have to kind of watch what I say because I don't want to trash the book. It, it's by no means my favorite. It's a good book. But, like, I don't want to say nothing happens, but I feel like the best parts are the, like, interludes, the prologue, the epilogue, uh, the little kind of offshoot chapters in between. The, the core story is really a character story about Ahsoka that doesn't yeah. impact a lot. If And if you love character yeah. stories, this is great. If you like stories that uh, branch out and touch all corners of Star Wars and impact things, not the book for you. If yeah, like this this is a this is a story that, for anybody who hasn't read it, without giving anything away, it circles around itself a couple of times before it reaches its conclusion, and the specifics of the end. You know, we'll get into her lightsabers. Um, the fact that that's the thing, like with to set that parallel we were talking about earlier, what we see Vader do in the comic series for him to bleed a kyber crystal. Um, this is the first time we see it in the new canon. Uh, you know, red kyber crystals are not synthetic anymore. They are bled, and that's where Sith sabers come from. You know, we see it in the in the Vader book. We saw it in the Rise of Kylo Ren. Um, but to see her in turn purify crystals and turn them white, I thought was a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. To show that like, I that they, that, that yeah that they can be kind of reversed back through a purity of spirit. And Ahsoka represents exactly that. So there's some really cool specifics in the book. But again, the story itself, it just circles around itself before it really starts to make its point. Um, and when it does, it's good. There's just a lot of stuff in the middle. that's kind of like, all right, well, we kind of this already kind of happened. Let's let's kind of let's move it along. For me, that book had me in tears so many times. Like, I loved it. But um. 
the there's also a creature, the coolest creature in Star Wars, probably because it kind of reminds me of a Pokemon. But um, <laughs> it it's a little rodent that has a plant growing in it. Or wait, that was from Rebel Rising. Never mind, wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think one of the cool things about the Ahsoka book, I think thematically, and I, I, it's been a couple of years at least since I've read the Ahsoka book, but when I watched the Ahsoka arc, the one with Trace and Rafa, I feel like thematically those two, that arc and that book are very similar. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you haven't read the book, the arc thematically covered that territory where Ahsoka had to kind of navigate other people without giving away who she was, trust, all that stuff. I feel like that... I, I think that, yeah, the, the, the whole kind of uh, search for self, you know, your, your your place in the galaxy, as it were, it's it's very similar between both. Yeah, and, and now talking about how that, at least the prologue, is kind of all for naught now in the book. And, and we knew that last week because we are, if we put any weight into the, the, the small detail that in the book, her lightsabers were still green. We knew they were blue in the episodes. So we knew that Filoni had already opted to throw that out. So, okay. Where last week was saying, where, where is the line? What, what will be kept? What will be thrown out in the end? What they kept was it- the end result is that Maul gets captured. Yeah. But that that's, that's another thing. She doesn't have those sabers right now. She dropped them. They're gone. And unless, I mean, this, and um, I think Nathan suggested this in the Facebook group. What are the chances that uh, Rex next week hands her the saber saying, you know, I, I think you'll be needing these as sort of a callback to Cody giving uh, Obi-Wan his saber back. It is possible. Oh. You know, that's, that is possible. I don't think it'll line up with anything timing wise for, for revenge of the Sith, but it could be a neat callback. Um, so yeah, I I wonder I I wonder what else from the novel is subject to being thrown out, um. Especially how kind of like the story ends. Now I guess we can look ahead to the next two episodes. And Rick, you touched on it before. Obviously, Order sixty six becomes the main focus now. How how does Ahsoka avoid being killed? Uh, how does she escape? What do the clones do once the order comes yeah. down? Um. Uh, what does Rex do? I think, you know, what does Rex do? Yeah. Yeah. This, is he sort of special in, has he set himself apart in, you know, being, being a captain, being exposed to Jedi more, has he developed other uh, critical thinking skills or other independence that when that order comes down, will he kind of struggle and grapple with that? He'll, his body says one thing, but his brain says another like what? What does he do? Like, or has he even taken his chip out yet? And he just doesn't go along with it at all, and it becomes like Ahsoka and Rex versus the rest of the three thirty second. I don't. I don't know where, where I said, we're going. I said this a while ago with Rex that I think he's, for lack of a better term, he's going to miss Order sixty six. I think he's going to be unconscious when it happens when the order goes down. Based hmm. on that shot from the so trailer. That- yeah, that he'll he'll be out of commission for at least a little while, and when he comes to and the damage is already done, you know, Ahsoka tells him something like, you know, something terrible has happened, or he catches wind of it some other way, 
or he's got to, you know, he chooses to protect her from the other clones. Like he wakes up and he's like, Hey, what the hell's going on? What are you guys doing? And he never specifically hears the order. And once she tells him like they're, they turn against me, he helps her. And then he, you know, discovers the truth. And that's when he removes the chip. That's the, to me, that's the only logical thing. I can't see any way where he's just like, no, I have to fight the urge to kill my, yeah, to me, that's just stupid. Like that, um, that, that to me sounds very Clone Wars. I don't know I if can't, I go I just that can't, Yeah, I, I can't see them doing like the eternal struggle where he's arguing with himself and overcomes it. And then like we see like there's like a, you know, the side of his head sparks because the chip is, you know, he, he blew it up in his head or I don't know, some stupid shit. But um, yeah, I, I, I think something's going to happen to him where he's out of commission and then he wakes up and has to protect her while, while she's been protecting him that whole time where he's been un, you know, unconscious. What do you think, Marie? Sorry. Um, so I don't, that's a really good call that he could be unconscious when it happens. Um, of course, I've heard people say, like, we don't necessarily know that, or do we know from the Ahsoka novel that he didn't kill any. But right now, he's the only Jedi he's around is Ahsoka. So, or do they have that moment where the order comes down? Rex gets a message from Palpatine, and he says, "You know, execute orders, Commander Rex or Captain Rex, execute Order sixty six. Yes, sir." And Ahsoka goes, "Hey, dummy, I'm not a Jedi." <laughs> and he goes, "Oh, right." Uh, yeah, there's that too because she's not actually a Jedi. So, I but but uh, then there's then the what whole happens? thing yeah. that. Um, in the Darth Vader comic series, when Farron Barr executes Order 66 and the stormtroopers who are actually clones turn against the Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to bring that up, too. I mean, what if, what if Rex gets the order and he's standing guard for Maul? And just as a force user, he's trained to take him out and then Maul overpowers him or something. And that's what knocks him out you know what i mean yeah because it's hard to think that like they they carried maul away at the end of this episode are we done with maul like is it is it over for maul i don't i I don't know this is crazy to me here's here's another thing too concerning what maul knows when they capture him and he's kind of strung up in those ropes he yells at ahsoka you're going to kill us all He's got to know what Order 66 is. Yeah, he for sure he knows. He knows what's coming. He definitely And, and again, coming. maybe that's his fear. He's surrounded by clones. He's in captivity. He knows this thing is coming down, and they're going to come for him too just because he's a Force user. Well, and he know, like he, he kept trying. I mean, to Maul's credit, he's an, he's an idiot. He never learns, but to his credit, he, he gave Ahsoka multiple chances. He, when she was sort of on that beam... And by the way, like the animation of that sequence and the creativity involved, like of the of the duel up on those be- all those eye beams, yeah. Oh, mama, that was sweet. Anyway, he gave her that one last chance. He's like, "This is this is it. You have join me or die." Type of moment. She says, "Never." Um, but he he's trying. He's at least he's giving people fair warning that. Something's coming down, and when he's roped up and he's he's having a meltdown, 
that we're all going to burn. He's we're going to you're going to get us all killed. He's trying to he's trying to prevent this from happening for selfish reasons, but at least he's trying to stop it from happening. Yeah. Oh, that's, but you know what? Going back to when the order comes down, if it comes down, I got to think that we're going to see Rex and Ahsoka face to face in that moment. Just be just to see that singular moment of like, what is the look on Ahsoka's face when Rex pulls a gun on her? Mm. Right. Like that is going to break us all. Like, would they pass up an opportunity to put that moment on screen? And maybe, maybe it's as simple as like Ahsoka and Rex are alone in a, in a room and the order comes down. Rex pulls the gun. Ahsoka slam force slams him into a wall the chip gets broken and he's out cold. Like we see in the trailer by the time he comes to like the other clones are now all over Ahsoka and Rex wakes up and goes, Oh my God, like what is going on? Like he remembers that the order came through, but now he's just like, because the chip has been uh, disabled in his mind. He's like, what the hell was I thinking? What happened? And he, now he's going to fight with Ahsoka. And, like, just to see Rex ha- now have to, sh- like, take down his brothers. Like, mm. there's there's some heavy stuff there. Yeah. That is some heavy ground to tread. And I, I got to imagine. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Let's have it. <laughs> Let's have it for sure. Oh, man. And, and, then, and we're, get, we're, getting, we're getting the last two episodes three days apart. So bring it. I'm ready. Wait, yeah. really? Yeah. So, yeah. Then, Next episode is uh, on Friday, and then the final episode is on May fourth, which is the Monday oh. afterwards. Oh, well, that makes sense. I'm I'm very tempted to just wait, not watch the Friday episode, and then just you're do out the of back. You are out of your mind. You are <laughs> out of your mind. Yeah, I know. I, you're I, not going to make it. You're, you're going to have to just shut up your internet in your house because you know <laughs> people are going to be talking about it. Don't be I stupid, know. Kyle. Come on. I know. I know. Who's kidding who? Um, but again, like if the uh. Boy, if the Ahsoka novel no longer means very much, like there is a scene in that book where Rex and Ahsoka like fake their deaths, yeah, so that everybody thinks they're both dead, and then they have this teary moment where they kind of each go their separate ways, right. and that to me seems like a fitting way to kind of end the series with Ahsoka, like bittersweet. Like it's not going to end in an uplifting way. It's going to sync up with Revenge of the Sith. Bittersweet. I, I got to imagine there, there's there's that moment where uh, Rex and Ahsoka say goodbye to one another, and they go their separate ways. Um, and but maybe that that little blip of hope that to mirror what's coming in. Um, oh, this is okay. This is what they're gonna do. They got to do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> My expectations now. They destroy the Ahsoka novel. Here's how they do it. They're splitting. <laughs> Rex and Ahsoka are going their separate ways. It's bittersweet. But the little ray of hope that comes to the rescue in this episode is Bail Organa picking up Ahsoka. And we see like he and he's got baby Leia with him. No. And then they they kind of go like you have Revenge of the Sith ending with baby Luke and Clone Wars ending with baby Leia. That's that's what they got to do. 
Because the first, oh. it's, it seems like the first thing they meet, the first time Bale and Ahsoka meet is in that novel, but it's years down the line. And Ahsoka's kind of offered the job as a fulcrum, right? I think. But I, think. If, I can't remember. Ful- at this point, fulcrum as a code name already exists. That's what's yeah. brought up in the last episode. Yeah, the, the the name exists, but Ahsoka is Ahsoka is Ahsoka, is Ahsoka a fulcrum agent at this point? No, not yet. Not not this soon after the Clone Wars end. So, but maybe this is where like Organa kind of swoops in. There's a distress call. He shows up, and Ahsoka goes off with him, and he's got like Baby Leia in his arm. It's and he's you know this but, is just after Revenge of the Sith ends. There's going to be some kind of stinger on this episode. Sam Witwer said something about this last episode changing aspects of of the entire saga, and I'm I'm terribly paraphrasing him, but he said it. He made it sound like there's going to be something there that makes us just view things completely differently. That could work. I don't. I don't know. I again, you, using the fact that they use these musical cues or these sonic cues to show things happening concurrently. There'll be something within Order 66, obviously, to show that it's all happening at the same time all over the galaxy. I think that moment in the last episode will be, sonically at least, Anakin handing Luke to uh, Baru and uh, and the, the guy. Um, Obi-Wan. Like, you think this is going to Tatooine with Obi-Wan handing off? I th- I think the sound I think the 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 mirroring in the last episode is going to be either her burying her sabers with Rex and then parting ways that that sonically will match up with Luke being handed to um oh, the large family yeah um and if there's something afterwards if if at the end of she she buries her sabers and we just see the the Tanavi three. I think it was a fail ship. I don't think it was a Tana V4. No, I'm serious. I think it was a Tana V3. Um, I, if we see it or something and it's just like, ooh, you know, there's that kick or, you know, she gets, you know, she's got a little a hollow disc projector where she gets a message from Bale or Mon Mothma or somebody saying like, we're not out of the woods yet, you know, kind of deal. But there's got to be some kind of stinger because we obviously her story's not over. They're not going to end this with her, you know, staring at the moon like... I wish for my old life. We know she moves on and she, Isaac and I, are, we started a rewatch of Rebels and where we're at, she just came back into the picture. Um, there's a lot of growth there for her character, both physically and psychologically. Mm-hmm. So I think she probably, and again, if anything in the novel still stands, she has to have spent a fair amount of time by herself. Yep. Yeah, and it seems like she was kind of getting used to that anyway, at least in that that, mm. that Coruscant arc. Oh God, good stuff! Holy cow! I can't wait. To, I mean, there's two episodes, right? And who knows? Like the 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 final one might be run a little extra long as they've as they have so far. Like both have been in the half hour range. This one could go past that. And really, you know, all all we're thinking of is Order sixty six and escaping that you don't necessarily need two episodes for that. So right. what, what else is in there? You know, that's the thing you have to think about what's happened, what happens in the movies. 
or in, in Revenge of the Sith. We know the catalyst for everything at this point is Order 66. What's the next main story beat after that? And it's the birth of Luke and Leia. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's that's why I think that those you know structural parallels will exist between the Clone Wars and the movie because those are th- the next key moments. Yeah. Um, and yeah. If, 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 if I can shout out one more thing that happened within this episode, um, Dryden Voss. Yes, oh, I was going to mention that. There. I mean, come on now. That was cool awesome. Nod, man. That was freaking incredible. That was, yeah, it, t- it took me a couple seconds. I know he's only on screen for a few seconds. But I was like, wait, wait, hold it. And there's one shot where you get a, a fairly good look at his face with the, whatever those striations are on his face. And it's, I, did anybody confirm it from, from uh, the mothership? It looks like him. It lingers on him for just that extra half a second. Yeah. I, I'm going with it. It's got to be. It's got to be. It has to be. I, it, it doesn't make any sense for it to be anybody else. No, definitely. Because you got him. You, you have a you know black son, you've got a pike, and then you've got this kind of this dude who kind of looks like Dryden Voss. It's probably Dryden Voss. Yeah. What were you gonna say, Marie? Which, I just it's it brings up an intri- a a lot of interesting questions. Um, like what is Crimson Dawn? You know, was it something that was around? If Dryden Voss was already in charge. Was it something that was around before? And when did they join the Shadow Collective? And just all that. Like, how did all that happen? And then the other question is, well, I thought Black Sun dropped out. But there they were, still listening to Maul. So, and the Pikes are still listening to Maul. So, it looks like Maul's grip is a lot more tight a lot tighter than um it seemed in son of dothamir he's got to have enough confidence in those three heads to sit and wait on mandalore for kenobi and skywalker to show up to just say listen guys i gotta do this thing handle your business i'll talk to you later um yeah, that's I think, and and the fact that they linger on Dryden just for that extra shot before his hologram fades away says that Maul has enough confidence in him to steer the ship right in his absence, even for a little while. And we and we know Dryden Voss was only a figurehead anyway. Maul didn't yeah. want to expose himself, so yeah, that's a cool right. beat, man. Because yeah, it is a weird thing that you know it, it seems like from the Son of Dathomir, it's. It, I got the impression that uh, both Black Sun and the Pikes had abandoned Maul, but there they were, kind of still taking his orders. So Maul is still clearly very much in charge. And when does when does uh, Crimson Dawn become a thing? Yeah, it was never mentioned really until uh, the final episode of the um, the Martez sisters arc. Mm-hmm. And like yep. things happen very quickly in Maul's world. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is this is so much fun doing these not doing these episodes. It's they're so so good, and it's it's going on on such a high. I cannot wait to see where they take this over the next two episodes. I am so I'm so scared. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. But yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. But uh, I think that is it. 
well well over two hours here because I, I think I think we've uh, we've done our part this week, uh, and I want to thank <laughs> you guys both, Marie, Rick. Awesome, awesome job as always. Yay! Thank you. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, sticking with us for for. Like I said, well over two hours here. Uh, if you want to be part of the podcast, send us your questions. Tumblingsaber at gmail.com. We'll work them into an upcoming episode. Um, shout out to Rob Wade for endorsing this episode as part of the E14 Endorse program, which you can learn more about at emotionally14.com. And be sure to check out our friends at the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Always great work from our podcasting pals there. Check it out. You can find us on apple podcast as a podcast provider also check out our facebook page uh all kinds of things happening at the star wars commonwealth check it out um i guess that's it everybody uh marie social media where are we going to find you you can find me on twitter at alia morgane and i have a review blog uh, at um the star wars review.blogspot.com where i review pretty much everything um there's been a lack of comics so i haven't been reviewing as much as usual but i get at least one or two reviews in a week um and did a really extensive super crazy long rise of skywalker novelization review so (laughs) if you don't feel like you have time to read the book check out my review because it's pretty extensive um and then I've written reviews and other types of articles for beyondtheblastwars.com. Awesome. Rick, where are we going to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cadbane's Bounty. And you can also find me in our uh, super kind of chill, super not um, at all contentious uh <laughs> Facebook group where everything is all handshakes and hugs and nobody nitpicks over lightsabers and starts threads of conversations with 70 uh, comments because I mean there's no nerds in our group Um, but you can find me there also um, having a good time with uh, with my buddies absolutely come check out the Facebook group it's a lot of fun we're talking about Star Wars all the time a little tight-knit group but we'd love to have you kind of join the group as well um also find me on twitter at tumbling saber also on instagram and uh also if you want to support the podcast and what we do and get some extra audio for your earballs come check us out on patreon at patreon.com slash tumbling saber we got we got a couple of tiers if you want to join us and support us and have some bonus audio uh it's there waiting for you become a powerful friend uh, and that's going to do it everybody uh thank you so so much for listening Uh, It was a blast, an absolute blast talking about all this news this week. I can't wait to get to it again next week. Uh, But until then, everybody, have yourselves a great week. Stay safe and may the force be with you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Static draws me closer to your place. Willing me through my dreams, fall away, signs, blindly, to the lines on your face, beating, strong, drifting, and I relive this dream, oh.
not breathing If only to see you next to me Sleeping Soundly Smiling Not really wish Are you running away? 